It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Case one time where a patient came in and his wife was in a panic. Because his triglycerides and cholesterol were off the chart. Well, I knew him pretty well. And the first thing I asked him was, well, did you fast for 12 hours? No. Did you brush your teeth with toothpaste? Yes. Did the toothpaste have any kind of a sugar? Well, yeah, probably. You know, it was one of the regular Crest or Colgate or somebody. I said, well, all that throws that blood work out the window. So if you're really worried, we need to do it again. Fast for 12 hours, only brush your teeth with water in the morning, and don't eat, don't pop a mint, don't chew a piece of gum, nothing. Well, he did, and the blood work came back just fine. But that's one case where blood work was all for peace of mind and mostly his wife's peace of mind because he wasn't too worried. As far as on the chiropractic side, we always do x-rays for the first visit. And it's mostly for you to rule things out so there's no surprises. And one of the great thing about doing x-rays that first visit is it usually shows me if you've got any calcific stuff starting with the arteries. And, and to see uh, atherosclerosis or anything with the calcified arteries, especially you'll see it at the abdominal artery. That's very common. Sometimes the carotids. The good thing about that is then we're able to go in and start doing things to make those arteries healthy so they're not building up calcium. Um, we'll go into that a lot more, but I can tell everybody that's listening, if your arteries are plugging up, it's not because of cholesterol, it's not because of fat, it's because of poor nutrition for that artery, it's not healthy. And like a, a bicycle tire with a weak spot and it's getting ready to blow, the body will try to protect that artery and it'll plug it up and plaque it and it'll do everything that, uh, that you can do to save it. I just happened to look over in the chat room and it said, uh, how dangerous are x-rays? Well, if, if you run a place that does x-rays, the answer is going to be very safe today. My way of thinking is if you did x-rays and MRIs and CAT scans, every time somebody wanted you to, uh, it has to do damage. I don't care what anybody says. It's not a natural thing. Uh, x-rays in the beginning, you do them like what I tell people. If we do x-rays once, we'll never have to do them again unless you want to see something or you have a bad accident. If you have a bad accident, then, of course, we have to see it. If you think you broke something, you know, and you want to see the x-ray, usually you'll know, but it could be a hairline fracture, and that won't show up for a week to 10 days. So I would say overall x-rays, the way I do it, pretty safe. I, I won't do a lot of tests unless you want them. If you need to see the results, if it gives you peace of mind, I'm all for sending you, but I won't waste your time and your money and risk your body to further exposures of any kind unless you want that. 
Now, if if we were totally lost with what was going on and nothing was making any sense, you and I might talk about it and we might send you for a particular test. Sometimes we've done like uh, ultrasounds and uh, looked at the abdominal portion of the body if there was a problem, uh, usually just to give patients peace of mind. Like I said, most of the time, if you listen to the patient, they make you look very smart. And I've learned that it's good to listen to them. Um, as far as me, I have the, the doctor of chiropractic degree. I have a lot of patients um, that have asked me before. They said, well, you know, I didn't even know you guys were a doctor. Well, because people hear the word chiropractor, and I fault that for the schools because they teach that word and people don't know what it means. Doctor of chiropractic means a doctor that works with his hands. And the definition of doctor is, is teacher. So that kind of sums it up, but they don't teach that. And so a lot of people don't even know that you're a doctor. Also, uh, through the Texas Chiropractic College, I uh, got the applied clinical nutrition. Uh, we call that extra scrambled eggs next to your, your name. So I have that under my belt, and that's my specialty and my passion. So I do, I do more of the family practice nutritional health care than I do anything else. But I do the chiropractic, and, and I like to do everything that I do is done like I was the patient. Uh, I, I see the, the comment in the chat room that said, not very safe, I would venture to guess. Uh, we're talking about the x-rays again, and like anything else. A little bit good, a lot bad. I've known some people that have had so many x-rays and so many tests, and a lot of times that's part of the problem of what we're dealing with with them. And also a lot of times those same people are doing a ton of medications because they've been lied to and scared and told they need that. Uh, I can tell you now, and we'll talk about this many times on the show, but there is no medication at the pharmacy that you are deficient in, none whatsoever. I don't care what anybody tells you. If somebody could write you that script and tell you you're deficient in this from the pharmacy with a clean conscience and look you in the eyes, I would, I would be blown away because it just doesn't happen. Now, in the emergency room, God bless those guys. That's a specialty all to itself. In there and only in there, you do whatever it takes. You give whatever it takes to save a life. After that, get them out of that hospital and let us take care of them the right way. Uh, I, am, I am totally against vaccines and flu shots and all the medications. Uh, it just breaks my heart how many people are paying their hard-earned money on that kind of stuff. And uh, it's usually the problem. And if you get off the medications, a lot of times most of your problems go away, and then we just need to figure out what else is going on and keep you healthy. When I first meet a patient, I try to figure out all the different areas that they're having trouble, and then we'll address them. And uh, the next week, uh, we will uh, talk and do a follow-up. Uh, I see we have a caller, uh, Rich from Texas. Are you there? Yes, sir. Welcome. What What can we do for you? 
Well, I was wondering if you might discuss iron deficiency and the symptoms of it and possibly what um, regular foods uh, would be good to support that. Uh, well, I'll touch on it just a little bit tonight. Uh, tonight's mostly uh, an intro, but we'll, that'll be one of our topics for sure next week, but we'll, we'll go into a little more. Uh, a lot of good things out there like raw spinach that's organically grown has always been good in iron, a lot of the green leafy vegetables. Um, the iron deficiency can be a lot of things. Uh, when when you hear somebody say iron poor blood, like in the old days, and they used to say you give them geritol, that's because they were sluggish and run down. Um, doesn't necessarily mean on a blood test that you're going to see that. It could be, could not be. It could be just adrenal glands that are in trouble. Uh, they do the blood test, and if they see any numbers are off, then right away they want to give you some synthetic or poor farm of whatever mineral or vitamin they think you need, and that's never a good thing. But we will touch a little bit more on that next week. I'll make a note of that, and that'll be a, a bigger topic in the show next week. Okay, I appreciate that and appreciate your show. I wanted to say for the people that are listening, um, I've been with um, Dr. Cooper for about eight years, and I came to him after a stroke. And I'm 72 years young, and I never felt better. Just wanted you guys to know that the products are great, uh, the service is great, and the man is great. So please, um, if you need any help or your friends need any help, please please uh, give him a try. And whatever you do, always follow up, because um, once he starts a missile or, or moving in the direction to help you, Sometimes that cor- that missile needs a correction, and the only way he can know if it's off course is if you tell him. Well, great. Well, thank you very much, Rich. Okay. All right. Well, you have a great evening. Thanks for listening, and thanks for calling in. You bet. Bye-bye. Uh, to follow up on what he said, the follow-ups are really important because I tell people all the time, we will start in one direction. And then your body and your feedback will tell us where we go from there. And no two people are the same. I don't care if you have a twin brother or a twin sister. No two people work the same. So your body will dictate and it will tell us and it will make me look really smart because I'll listen and we'll go where it directs us. So that that's always a good thing. And, and, and Rich was way too kind. Um, but I appreciate it, and uh, he's been part of my family now for about eight years, like he said. And uh, he he always has great questions, and he gives me a lot of information that he wants talked about on the shows. And for any of you that like that, you can reach my office at 832-220-6163. If you have any questions, uh, it's it's a small office now, one person usually. So if you call and I don't get to it, please leave a message. I will get back to you. Uh, I'm in the office uh, from 830 in the morning uh, and I'm out for lunch and then back till about five o'clock every evening, except on the nights I do the radio, I shut down at 430. But I do check the phone and check the messages and I will get back to you. The email you can reach me at is Dave Krupa, K-R-O-U-P-A at SBCGlobal.net. And uh, we will be right back after this break.
prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. a minute about uh, nature's logic it is the best dog and cat food I have found anywhere uh, it's the only one and I searched forever and ever until I found nature's logic that is 100% natural a lot of foods say holistic and organic and natural and they add this vitamin mineral pack to their kibble or dry food and it's full of synthetic vitamins and minerals so it's not what they say and I looked forever until I contacted a gentleman named Scott he used to live here in the Houston area and he worked for another dog food company and he decided to open his own because he wanted to make a product that was 100% natural, nothing man-made, nothing added. And so he started Nature's Logic. And I always say that's the logic of nature, all natural, just what the animals would have ate in the wild. Uh, he's got a great product. You can reach it through uh, their website of natureslogic.com. And there's several ways you can order pet food direct if you want it delivered right to your home. If you're in the local Houston area, uh, one store I know for sure is called Natural Dog, D-A-W-G, and it's on 290 and Barker Cypress. Uh, a lot of really, really good products. Your animals will love you. And I was teaching my patients and anybody that would listen about Nature's Logic long before Scott decided to sponsor me. And so it's, it's a pleasure to, to recommend his food because your dog and your cat will be healthier and they will thank you for it. my good friend Steve O'Brien at Quality Computers because without him helping me get my Skype fixed yesterday, I wouldn't be able to do this properly. 
and he's really good. If any of you guys need him, uh, he's at 830-998-4381, and that's just a personal plug because he helped me out or I wouldn't be on the air today because when Frank called me, I was just getting my Skype back going, and everything went smooth, so thanks a lot, Steve. All right. Um, people ask me what kind of uh, things I I recommend carry. And one of the things I always try to tell you is, yes, I use standard process and Mediherb, but I don't have anything for sales sake. Everything that I have is because I believe in it. I've seen good things happen and I use it. When you, when you come into my office, if you call me on the phone, I have patients all over the country and a few in Canada. And some I've never met except on the phone or, or an email or something of that nature. I try to do everything by phone because I need to talk to you and hear your voice. And email is difficult. But I always remind everybody, nothing that I deal with is just for sales sake. Uh, if I don't believe in it and I don't use it, you won't find it in my office and I won't recommend it to you. Uh, I carry raw whole cane sugar, and many stores today have got what they call organic sugar, but it's just the juice from the sugar cane. It's not the whole cane. makes a big difference. We call that fractionated, and what I carry is raw whole cane. It's hard to find, and because of that, I do carry it, and it's what I use. MediHerb and Standard Process, two, two of the best companies I've ever found, and the results are fabulous. And now they they do so good that they work together, even though MediHerb's in Australia and Standard Process is in Palmyra, Wisconsin. The two companies realized their philosophies were so close that they now help each other in the respective countries. And And I'll tell people all the time when they come to see me, I don't care if you buy anything from me. But please, stop taking all the junk you are taking. Don't buy over-the-counter vitamins and minerals. Don't buy stuff on the Internet, the latest and greatest fad that somebody's pushing out there. Um, don't, if, you're, if you're a pregnant mom or you're trying to get pregnant, don't take the pharmaceutical prenatal or natal vitamins. They're bad for you and the baby. Uh, so I'm not about sales. I'm about health care. And I'd rather you not waste any money and just watch how healthy you can get with me giving you some good pointers. And, and in most cases, people do need some um, uh, some kind of help. You know, we, need, we don't get the things and food we used to. Now it's getting better. And I tell people all the time, vote with your wallet. When you go into a store and they don't carry what you want to see, ask them. Bring it up. I've been in restaurants where they had some fabulous food and they were very proud of it, and yet they don't carry sea salt. They had regular table salt. Now, we'll talk about it more later, but regular salt has been processed to death, and the minerals and trace minerals sent to the refineries, and they use them in some process. And then they have to put in a poor form of iodine, so it says iodized to give it some flavor. And then we sit it on the table, and it's absolutely no good for you at all. Uh, a lot of the whack jobs out there, like in New York City, that were telling people they couldn't have salt in the restaurants, 
They didn't understand. They, they said good and bad without knowing what they were even talking about. It was good that they were worried about salt because most of the salt in a lot of those restaurants was bad salt. But if you're using sea salt, it's important. And we don't need those idiots telling you not to take it. Now, my show is not about politics, but when politics gets in the way of your health, I will give you my opinion. And if you ask me about anything, I will tell you an honest answer according to how I see it and from what I've seen. So good sea salt, very important for your thyroid, very important for your heart, uh, very important all the way around. So please use a good sea salt. My favorite, the one that I've seen continually have the best of all the things, all the trace minerals and minerals, and the right amount of natural uh, iodine is Celtic. Some people say Celtic, depends on what side of the pond you're on. But it's sea salt, and I buy it from uh, a company here in the States. Uh, I'm not sure exactly where the salt comes from, but um, it's Salina naturally that I get that salt from, and it's really good for you. But if you're in a restaurant and they don't have good sea salt, ask them. I've had friends that own restaurants that said they never knew. And so after I brought it up, they got sea salt at every table. And I've been in places and asked them what kind of oil you cook with. And believe it or not, sometimes they brought up canola oil, which is very bad. And in one restaurant I went to, it was a little little bitty airport out in the country. And on the menu, they had that we proudly cook with canola oil. Well, I called the lady over and said, hey, I'm not asking for anything. I don't want any money. I just want to give you some free advice that that's terrible. Get it off your menu. And, and she said that she went and told the owner, and they said um, that, that that was a problem because of price. I said, well, the real problem is you're hurting people with cheap canola oil. I see in the chat room that it says I don't use any salt at all. Well, you, you really need to use good sea salt. It's good for you. It's very critical. What, what happens with salt, especially in the summer if you live in Texas. If you don't have salt in the cell, water can't get in. So water follows salt into the cell and hydrates. Uh, you use a lot of black pepper. Well, that's good, but it won't take the place of sea salt, and I do too. I have natural black pepper also. So when you hear about people passing out on football fields and baseball fields from the heat, and they say, well, we don't understand. He drank a lot of water. He didn't have any sea salt in his diet. And without salt, water can't get in the cell. And you will dehydrate and you'll pass out. So you got to have good sea salt. When I was a kid and we played sports, they had sea salt tablets on the field. And then the, the food police got a hold of it over the years and decided salt was bad for you. And they were partially right. Processed salt is bad for you. Sea salt was good for you. And so now we see people passing out and suffering. And so just remember, good sea salt in your diet, especially in the hot summer, your thyroid, your heart will thank you, and you won't be passing out. Your body will stay hydrated because otherwise you're drinking all that water, and it's like pouring it on a rubber boot. It's not going anywhere. Uh, people ask me about what kind of treatments I do. Well, on the chiropractic side and the nutritional health care side, I still swab your throat if you have a sore throat with iodine, and I do laser, low-level laser light therapy. It's, 
It is the greatest healing tool I've ever seen. It amazes me so much. And every time I've used it, it's done something good. Uh, a lot of people are used to getting a sore throat and being told they have strep, and they run to the MD and they get an antibiotic. Well, first thing the antibiotic does is kill the good guys and some of the bad guys, and it doesn't kill the surface bacteria on that sore throat. So that when you, what we do is I go swab that sore throat with iodine, and iodine binds to bacteria because it's a protein and it kills it, and then I use natural products. Uh, the chat room says, I've always been under understanding that we get enough salt in the foods that we already eat. Uh, a lot of places use junk salt. So you you probably get too much salt if they're not using sea salt. But not a lot of places use good sea salt. And so it's good to have a little in your food and, and a little, especially in the summertime, a little more. Your body will know. Uh, if you ever look at a rancher, they have salt licks out in the field, and nobody has to tell the cows how many times to lick that salt. They just know. Their body tells them what's right. And without the salt, they don't make it. They'll dehydrate. They'll die. So it's very important. Uh, and you'll know. Your, your body will tell you, too. If you're using too much sea salt, your body will say that's enough's enough. But it'll give good flavor to your food. And it's good for you. And like anything else, you'll know if it's too much. Nobody has to tell you. So if you like if you like to taste a good sea salt, and Celtic sea salt or Celtic, whatever you want to call it, is one of the best I've found. In fact, I have found no better. Uh, Emeril Lagasse, one of the famous chefs that's out there, uses uh, Celtic sea salt, the one that's called Flower of the Ocean. And it's supposed to be the most exquisite and what they do, they say in the really high-end restaurants, right before the food on its plate goes out to the table, they sprinkle lightly some of the flower of the ocean Celtic sea salt. And it just accentuates that flavor and good for you and good tasting. And so it's a nice thing. So anyway, and I use low-level laser light therapy. The one that I use is from a Dr. Lytle. It's a Q1000. I've had it. In fact, I have two of them now in the office. I started using one, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago. And it worked so well when it came out with a newer version and a couple of different things with it. I bought a second one because it did different things. And it's never let me down. I use it on everything from ear infections, sore throat, uh, muscle problems, damaged tendons, heart problems, brain, uh, you name it, I've used it. Burns. One of the things it's known very well for is infections and spider bites. So it's it's a great tool. Um, let's see here. I, I, one of the things that I always tell people is when you come into my office, you become part of my family. And whether that means you came into my office on the phone or the Internet or in person. And I will treat you the same way. There, there will be nothing that I would recommend to you that I would not do or haven't already done. So you don't ever have to wonder, is he just trying to sell me something? What, like I said, I carry a lot of things. I have a special water system that we'll talk about. Uh, I, I carry uh, the standard process and Medier products, but I also have a, a, a system now called Patient Direct. So if somebody lives far away, 
and they want my help, I will give you, so we'll do a consult on the phone, and then I will give you some suggestions. And if you say you want to do them, then I um, give you the code and tell you where to sign up, and they'll deliver right to your door. They make sure that I'm involved, that you have a doctor. Standard Process and Mediherb are the kind of companies that if you called up and you said, I want to buy some product, the first thing they would ask you is, who's your doctor? And if you don't have one, then they'll try to find you one. So thanks to doing this radio show, I'm lucky because I get to talk to people all over the place, and I get patients from all over. My farthest patient, it was still part of the United States, but they were in Alaska, and I have about four or five maybe that are still in Canada, and then I have patients all over the country. And it's, it's really nice to get to help people, even if I haven't met them in person. And every once in a while, some of them will come through town that I never met, and I'll get to meet finally, and that's always exciting. But nothing that I do is about sales. I mean, we all have to make a living, but I'm going to tell you now, unless if you, if you became a doctor just for money's sake, then you better go be an MD and not have a conscience, and then you can drive your Mercedes and play golf three days a week because if you have a conscience and you write prescriptions, you're not going to feel very well very long. Uh, I've met patients that came to me and said, here's my list of my medications that I have to take. And the first thing I said was, no, you don't, but let me look at it. And I went over the list. In one case, the gentleman had 18 medications on that sheet. And I said, none of these are good for you. And most everything you just told me that was wrong is because of the medications you're taking. And he was so afraid and so brainwashed about the medications that he carried this list with him. So if something happened and people would find the list on him and know he needed his medicine. And it was just exactly the opposite. All the things he told me about, if he just quit the medicine, he'd be better off. And a lot of times I'll tell people, uh, I want to help you, and I I do think there's some recommendations that you need to take, but you can do yourself a real favor and just quit taking all the crap. Don't buy over-the-counter vitamins and minerals and trace minerals. Don't take stuff from the pharmacy. Isn't it amazing that in a pharmacy you could walk in the front door and get your cigarettes immediately, but to get the really bad stuff, you have to walk to the back to the pharmacy counter. Now, there's a couple of pharmacies that eliminated cigarettes. I personally would rather see my patients smoking cigarettes, especially because most of them know it's not the greatest thing in the world for you, than going back to the pharmacy where something was prescribed and maybe they believe falsely that it's good for them and they need it. If, If patients come to me and they smoke, they're always kind of surprised. I don't tell them to quit. I tell them, switch to natural cigarettes like American Spirit, and it eliminates about 250 chemicals, you won't smoke as much, you won't feel as bad, and if you want to quit, it'll be easier, and they taste better. The cigarette guys took a real beating because they can't advertise anywhere anymore, so they added a lot of chemicals to hook you on the cigarettes. But American Spirit doesn't have any of that, And so I've got a lot of patients now that still smoke, but they're on American Spirit. It tastes better. 
they don't smoke as many. And as some that have quit said it was easier to quit because they weren't so hooked by those chemicals. So don't be surprised. I'm one of those doctors that won't tell you to quit smoking cigarettes. And I tell you to drink. I think everybody should drink a little. Uh, a little every day is good for heart and circulation and many things. Uh, that doesn't mean swim in the bottle. That means a little a little every day is good for you. If you like a couple glasses of wine, a couple of beers, uh, those kind of things. I used to smoke cigarettes. Now I smoke cigars once in a while, but you don't inhale them. So that's that's a little bit different. Uh, personally, I like scotch and I like beer. And, and sometimes I would do those two things together, sip the scotch and drink the beer. And I like the beer ice cold. Uh, I'm, I'm a big believer in natural and organic whenever possible. And a lot of times natural, depending on the rancher or the farmer or whoever produced it, is the same as the organic. They just didn't go through the headaches of getting the government approval stamp on it. So if you get to know a farmer or a rancher, he might have everything all natural and organic. He just didn't get it stamped organic. That So you don't want to not buy from him. You get to know him and you can do that. And you also have to be careful because like I said about the sugar in the grocery store, a lot of them say organic cane sugar and I pick it up and I look, and it's the juice from the sugar cane. And what they do is they take that juice off that sugar cane, and they dry it, spin it, call it turbinado. That sounds fancy. And they put the dried crystals in a bag and say it's organic. But it's not. It's sugar juice taken away from the sugar cane, and now it is a, a dead, inert product. When it was the whole sugar cane, it was good for you. The people that work the sugar canes, they eat that sugar cane all day long. They don't have diabetes. They don't have high blood pressure. They don't have cavities because they're eating a whole food source, as I believe God intended. When we start taking things apart, it's when we go bad. I, I always give people the comparison. You don't see sugar cane in a grocery store, so when you buy a bag of sugar, you just accept it. But if you were buying a tomato, and we all know what they look like, and if I gave you the juice off that tomato and dried it, spun it, and put it in a bag and gave you some crystals and called it a tomato, you'd think I was crazy because you know what a tomato looks like. Well, that's the same silliness they're doing with sugar, but nobody knows because we don't see sugar cane in the store. Uh, unless you live someplace where they have a sugar cane uh, farm and, and they they have it fresh, but I haven't seen that anywhere I've ever lived. So most of the time... Eat common sense. If you go someplace to eat, don't be ashamed to question uh, a little bit about what they're using in the back. I, I was at a uh, sandwich shop one time, and they had a big sign that says, we proudly do everything organic and cook in natural oil. And so I called the manager over, and I said, you know, I saw your sign, and a lot of times it's not so. I just wonder, what are you guys doing back there? And he said, well, whenever possible, we use... Uh, uh, extra virgin olive oil for sautéing and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I wasn't buying anything fried, so I don't know what they fried in, but he he was using organic extra virgin olive oil, and that was wonderful. And then, like I said, you can get them to use uh, good sea salt. Uh, I shop at Kroger the most, 
And Kroger has gotten really good. In fact, they were good before it was popular. Kroger carries a lot of natural organic products, and I've noticed that the more you buy those things, the more they come in. They get more and more because they're watching. Now, there's a few stores that didn't carry any of it until it really became more commonplace, and I think they figured it was a good way to jump on the bandwagon for sales, but 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 Kroger, um, oh, somebody just said our, our local food less does carry sugar cane. That's fabulous. Uh, the sugar cane, you just grind it up and use it. That's the natural way, and it's good for you just like that. What I have here in my office is a, a called Rapidura, and it says organic, raw, whole cane sugar, and they just grind the whole cane up. So if you've got it, that's the best sweetener I think there is. And it's natural. The sugarcane juice at the store is not natural. It's the, it's the dried juice, and it's not the same. That we call that fractionated, and I think it's, um, it's it's once it's altered, it's not the same. It's like taking a watch apart and trying to put it back together if you're not a watch guy. So that's great. Uh, what store is that? If you don't mind telling everybody, Frank. And you, oh, that's right. You're out there in California, so. They they probably have lots of sugar cane. Well, it, it's actually Southern Oregon, and it's our our just our local food for less. Oh, that's fabulous! Yeah, none of, none of that by me. Yeah, uh, do you have a a suggestion on how to grind it? Any specific uh, like a blender or a coffee grinder or a, a grater or what what's the best way? I would think something like the Vitamix, which I think is one of the best, but now there's a whole bunch of companies making grinders and blenders and coffee grinders. I think anything that would grind coffee would grind the sugar cane, and you could probably put it in, like I have a Vitamix, and I imagine it would grind it up just fine. But you can also buy now, thanks to these companies like I use, so you can buy it already pre-ground unless you just get it at a really great price up there. Because the bags, the bags that I get are pretty reasonable price. It's not very expensive. Well, I, I I have to look and see because I I noticed it and I looked at it, but I didn't know what to do with it, so I didn't buy any. Well, get some and tell me about it. I I sure like to hear, and maybe I can find it somewhere local. I'd love that. We'll we'll put that out to everybody because whole cane sugar is exactly how you should be doing it. It, taking the juice off and drying it and calling it sugar, just it's not right. So if you did it with the tomato, they would understand real quick. All righty. Um, so like I said, I don't push anything on you. I don't try to get you to buy anything. Uh, and if you're taking medications, I won't tell you not to take them because I didn't give them to you. But I will tell you that I would never take them. I wouldn't have given them to you, and if they gave me a bonus, I wouldn't give them to you because they're bad for you. They damage your liver, your kidneys, your thyroid. Um, most of the problems that people come with to me, I truly believe modern medicine caused them. And when people try to tell me that we're alternative health care, I, I always laugh because doctors like me have been around the longest the Johnny-come-latelys are the pharmaceutical guys. And um, I, I think a lot of them maybe started with good intention, 
but between so many commercials and the hype, when people come in, they think they know what medicine they already need. And after a while, I think these guys give up and they write the prescription and just let them go. They make too much money. This It's a great reward. I could be very rich if I'd have chose the MD road and write a lot of prescriptions and do surgeries because that's where the money's at. But this is where my conscience is at. And I want people healthy and I want to look you in the eyes with a clean conscience. And I want you part of my family. And I wouldn't, if I wouldn't give it to me, I'm not going to recommend it to you. And, and, just for the record, every once in a while people ask about the education of doctor, chiropractic, and and medical doctors. And we'll go into this one day because it comes up all the time. But just in the regular medical schools, they cover the, the core medical school is just about the same for everybody, just how many hours. And a typical MD is 2061, and the typical doctor of chiropractic is 2,419 hours. And that's not counting your specialties and your internship and stuff like that. So you spend a lot of time becoming a doctor, no matter what kind it is. The problem is the other way they waste it. So God bless you with health and happiness. Thanks for joining me for my first show. I look forward to many, many more. Have a great evening, everybody. As if it were a foolish game, the way the evening May tease a candle flame The thousand dreams I dreamed The splendid things I planned I always built to last On weakened, shifting sand I live by night And shun the naked light of day And only now I see How the years ran away Yesterday American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. religious and medical views presented on various shows heard on American Voice Radio Network are not necessarily the views held by the management of American Voice Radio and are not presented as an endorsement by this network. All statements heard on American Voice Radio are the sole responsibility and opinion of those who speak the particular statement. around and you see what's going on in the world 
it's like, where did all this crapola come from? Where did it start? How did it ever get to the point that it's gotten? Well, back in 1960, maybe 65, 69, there was this hooker. His name was Dr. Richard Day. And the guy came out of this really weird closet and basically started talking about the hideous plan of implementing population control. Now, first and foremost, what Dr. Day spoke openly about started with the ever-popular Adolf Hitler. And despite Hitler losing the war, the Rockefellers, Prescott Bush, who, yes, is related to previous presidents, I.G. Farben, and other haves, decided to push forward. 22 years after Dr. Day's lecture, which would be, oh, maybe 1991, two of Dr. Day's buddies, a Randy Engel and a Dr. Lawrence Dunnigan, they started talking about it. And after I let you know what, what their thoughts were, we'll get to some of the modern-day atrocities that took place. So when they were discussing cancer cures, they talked about the numerous cancer cures that were sitting at the Rockefeller Institute that were purposely withheld from the public and the medical profession. So when Dr. Day spoke about this, he also said, you will forget most or much of what I'm going to tell you. Well, why would people forget this? Do you think that because they were in a, a large eating area, that the sumptuous meal and unlimited alcohol would have anything to do with erasing their memory? I mean, even back then, people were done, dumbed down. So when they were talking about changing the image of the doctor, basically, it was to turn them into a high-paid technician rather than a professional who would exercise independent judgment on behalf of his independent patient. So when we look at today's doctor, for the most part, what you see is a hooker for the big pharma pimp that treats the symptom endlessly with toxic synthetic chemicals and instead of trying to dig for the cure. And what that does, this lifetime of filling, what it does is during the lifetime of the body, it fills it with endless toxic chemicals. And what do they do? They shorten the lifespan because all they're doing is treating and suppressing a symptom rather than getting for the cure. So then they compared the Americans to the Europeans, and they said that the Americans were too trusting 
and never asked the right questions, while the Europeans were more skeptical and more sophisticated. So the Americans had this lack of discernment and were very easily tricked because they were too trusting. So in other words, if you want someone to do something and you know that initially they might hesitate or balk at it because it's against their morals or their religious beliefs, you have to substitute another reason that would be acceptable. And then after it's accepted, it will be a done deal and there would be no turning back. So in this vein, if you look back and see how quickly the so-called AIDS education was introduced and ultimately accepted, it's no wonder. So if a group wanted to introduce the concept of sodomy or initiate sex earlier and earlier in children, and that was the reason given, the parents would not go for that. So if you change the reason, then it's accepted. So the new reason they came up with was to protect the kids from AIDS. So now that education is available from kindergarten to 12th grades, it's a done deal. But it's a great boon to the homosexual network because now they have access to the kids from their earliest years. So the emphasis on youth was stated explicitly because people beyond a certain age are set in their ways and they're not likely to change or discard their values. But since the kids are young, they're pliable and they can be molded in any direction you want to point them in. So you target the young because they'll be a route longer than the old fogies that would be dying off anyway. So Dr. Day recognized homosexual behavior as a bizarre, abnormal behavior. But that activity was just another element in the law of the jungle because, as he said, people who are stupid enough to go along with it are not fit to inhabit the planet, and they will just go by the wayside. And if you are dumb enough to be con convinced by the promotion of homosexuality, you don't deserve a place and we'll be rid of you soon enough. And the people who will, who will survive this are also smart enough to not be deluded by our propaganda. So you can see that Dr. Day was a true humanitarian. So from this promotion of homosexuality came the concept of downgrading or eliminating God from the equation altogether. Because the concept of not being able to see him led to the propaganda of doubting his existence. I mean, look, after all, since God heartily denounced, rejected, and punished homosexual behavior, you, if you can get him out of the picture, then anything goes. 
So wait and see how long it'll be before pedophilia finally becomes accepted. Well, actually, pedophilia exists right now in the Catholic Church. And what happens when a priest is found out to be a pedophile, they punish him by sending him to another parish. Yeah, you got to love it. So when Dr. Day attacked religion, he did that because he was an atheist. He advocated creating our own religion because in doing so, we could then define what religion is. And his target was the Roman Catholic Church. And basically he says, once that fails, the rest of Christianity will be easy. So along these lines, there was this article back in the Honolulu Star Advertiser back in 2013 about a church service in Los Angeles that was made up of atheists finding camaraderie without religion. And the movement, what, what the article said was, the movement dovetails dovetails with new studies that show an increasing number of Americans drifting away from any religious affiliation. So the Pew PEW Forum on Religion and Public Life released a study back in 2012 that found 20% of Americans say they have no religious affiliations which was an increase from 15% in the past five years. So maybe the concept of abandoning religious or spiritual values has not encompassed all of society, but it is growing. And what fruit does a godless society bear? Chaos, quarrel, confusion, and reduction. So according to the Bible, Dr. Day said that the plan was underfoot to change the wording. And as he put it, words are weapons. So an example would be changing the word altar to table or sacrifice to meal. And basically, when you change words, you change ideas and you change thoughts. Now, take the word gay for example. Well, when I was growing up, gay meant happy, right? Today, it's a pervert, and it's never used in any other way. Then we have sex education. Okay, so is that not just a euphemism for conditioning? And why was the word homophobe created? Well, obviously, the answer is obvious. But that being the case, how come the word heterophobe has never been used in the mainstream media? Pimps, hookers, and tricks, that's why. So let's look at the reason for promoting abortion. When you kill them off early, you will be left with oldies that will die sooner with fewer behind them. Now, doesn't that blend in perfectly with population reduction? So the concept 
of sex without reproduction was greatly emphasized. Hello, birth control pills. Hello, abortions at will. And sense enjoyment, uberalis. Now, Hitler said Deutschland, Deutschland uberalis, Germany over all others. Now, it's sex over morality. So the subject of population control was easily solved. And the use of microchips solved that one. So what happens is when you implant microchips in a population, population control is simplified. Everything about an individual becomes public. Their money, their sex lives, their contacts, their thoughts, all that is made available for the haves. And if you try to buck the system, your plug gets pulled. And at that point, you have no life. But the haves will be exempt from that and will have their privacy reserved. No one else. So when it comes to music, the young and the old have different flavors. The old like it quiet and soft, and the young like it loud and busy. So the problem that this creates is turmoil in the family because of the sound variations in the house. So in rebellion, the youth take to the streets or vacate the house, causing family dissension and distancing. And to implement these changes, the quote-unquote new authority would have to present itself and its ideas. And what better time to do that than in the winter on a weekend? And why? Because in the winter, the people are less apt to travel, and on the weekend, the government agencies are closed, making it so that no one would be able to question anything. Then an agreement would have to be signed. And you sign it and you're good. But if you don't sign any, then you're not going to get any electric impulses in your bank accounts. And if you don't get any impulses, you can't pay your electric bills or your mortgage or buy food. So when the impulses are gone, so is your livelihood and your means of ex existence. Your expenditures through electronic surveillance would be tightly watched. If you spend too much money at the supermarket, somebody's gonna come to you and say, hey, how come? What are you doing with all this food? You don't look fat. You don't have that many people to feed. We know that you're not entertaining. What are you doing with all that food? And God forbid you reply to them, well, I, I have seven people in my basement who object to the new world order and I'm feeding them. Then you would be told that they don't belong there and you can't feed them. And since you're sympathetic to them, maybe your allegiance isn't very trustworthy either. So look what happened in China. China wanted to enforce the one-child family concept. So what happened was they cut off all education for the second child, and the food rations were cut. 
And if somebody found a way around that, the government instituted compulsory abortions and compulsory plugging in of the IUDs. So here in the U.S., we have Planned Parenthood that espouses freedom of choice. (laughs) Really? One of the medical directors of Planned Parenthood, this Dr. Alan Guttmacher, said, well, if people limit their families and do what we say, fine. But if we need compulsory population control, we are going to have it. (laughs) So the New World Order is not very supportive of homeless people living in boxes on the street. So in keeping with the actions of the Nazis and the communists, people come in the middle of the night, and by morning, all those people are gone. Well, where did they go? Hey, don't ask, right? Because after all, when a person lives in a box, he's littering. So a truck comes at night and removes the litter. And if you ask questions, You draw attention to yourself. So basically, you mind your own business. You just step over the starving guy on the street who didn't play ball. I have a friend of mine who lives in a a senior retirement community in New Jersey. And when I went there, I noticed that the exit was convoluted and not simple. So here's this little retirement community with one exit and one entrance. No young people and a hassle to get out of. Why? Do you think maybe to minimize the times that someone leaves so they can stay home longer? So for you guys that are hearing this, you need to make sure that your kids see their grandparents frequently no matter how much that entails. Because if you see someone infrequently, you forget they exist. And if you forget they exist, love is lost. When that happens and you tell your little child that his or her grandpa or grandma died, the last thing that you want them to say is, who? So back in the 30s and the 40s, when manure was a fertilizer and the soil was rich in sulfur, everybody was kept healthy. Then the Rockefellers, under the guise of enabling the farmer to plant more crops and less time shoveling doo-doo, switched to the petrochemical fertilizers, which killed all the sulfur in the soil and illnesses abounded. Then the food companies got involved. And they figured out if they could extend shelf life, they could make more money. So what that did was open the door to synthetic chemicals being added to the food. Then the pharmaceutical industry paid for more advertising, and the mainstream media began running more drug ads in the newspapers and on television. That was unheard of in the 40s and early 50s. Then enter the biotech industry, supplying us with heavily pesticided and insecticide sprayed foods, telling us 
they were safe. If you remember the Vietnam War, and if you remember the use of Agent Orange, which left enormous amounts of people dealing with illness and little kids born with birth defects for the rest of their lives, we are being told by Monsanto that the cornfield in the U.S. being sprayed with 2,4-D, the Agent Orange active ingredient, is safe to eat. Back in the 50s, fluoride used to be disposed of in lead-lined drums as a toxic waste product to the tune of millions of dollars a year. Well, that was easily fixed because a PR campaign was undertaken, and now that toxic waste product, fluoride, is being dumped into the water supply as a dental cavity panacea, and the polluters that used to pay millions to dispose of it rake in millions a year. Now, there's a couple of very interesting facts that you should know about fluoride. New York City and Boston have been fluoridated since the 60s, and yet they experience a dental cavity rate four times higher than the national average. Well, how come nobody teaches people about how to brush and floss their teeth or how the ingestion of sugar leads to cavities? In the year 2000, Hawaii's dental chief, Dr. Mark Greer, said on public radio that the toxicology tests proved that fluoride was safe and effective. Now, the problem with that statement was the only independent toxicology report on fluoride was done by the National Research Council in 2007. He said in 2000 it was safe, and it was the only independent toxicology report in 2007. And the National Research Council found that fluoride in excess of point eight parts per million were extremely detrimental to one's health. Well, at present, in addition to fluoride in the water supply and people ingesting food sprayed with fluoridated water, people are getting eight parts per million rather than 0.8 parts per million on a daily basis. So in 2003, we had a hearing at the Capitol in Honolulu, and I followed Dr. Greer in testimony. Nobody knew who Hesh Goldstein was. And I said that we were honored to have a man as Dr. Greer as our dental chief because he was multifaceted and that he missed his calling. He should have been president of the Liars Club. Well, the place cracked up. Then I said, well, I just call our dental chief a liar in front of at least 300 potential potential witnesses and that I opened up a classic defamation of character lawsuit. And then I said, is there a lawyer in the house? And if there is, I beg you to take the case. Because when we go to court, 
Dr. Greer would have to present the toxicology report he referred to, which does not exist. That was 2003. <laughs> 13 years later, except for the military bases, no fluoride in Hawaii's water supply and no lawsuit. So here we are. All the things that Dr. Day spoke about get implemented little by little. We have three things we have no control over and three things we have control over. We have no control over getting old. We have no control over dying. And we have no control over karma. What we have control over is being healthy, being fit, and actually being able to develop an individual personal relationship with God. So to be healthy, we need to adhere to a plant-based diet centered around organics and avoid GMOs at all costs. So if soy, corn, cotton, or any canola, even organic, or other products do not say organic or non-GMO, don't touch them with a 10-foot pole. And like I said, there is no such thing as organic canola oil because canola oil, which stems from rapeseed, was originally an industrial solvent. So if somebody can tell me how an industrial solvent could suddenly become organic, then I'll buy it. <laughs> so I sent a letter to two health food stores. One was Whole Foods, and one was a store called Down to Earth in Honolulu, which was the company that I set up back in the 70s. But I'm not there anymore, and it's a long story. So I sent an email about organic canola oil, and I explained that it's crapola. The comment I got back from Whole Foods was, the FDA approved this, so if you don't like it, take it up with them. <laughs> the comment I got back from the guy at Down to Earth who replaced me because he was computer literate and I wasn't, was if you send us another email, we will ban you from shopping here for a year. <laughs> so I just basically said, I guess integrity, I guess profit comes before integrity. So they, they didn't like that too much. So now, in addition, plant-based foods will leave your body in two to four days. And when you eat plant-based foods, basically you chew it enough and mixes with the saliva and you wind up swallowing it. Flesh foods, or anything that had a face in a mother, leaves your body in four to seven days. And no matter how much you chew it, you can't break down the muscle. So my question is, if those flesh foods stay in your body and your digestive tract, for up to seven days, where do all those poisons go? So if you're eating a plant-based diet, not centered around organics, 
periodically you need to detoxify your system. The options are chlorella, spirulina, or organic sulfur crystals. But the point is, you need to take responsibility and get out from under your doctor's grip with the toxic synthetic chemicals. And if you want to get fit, those two long things that are hanging below your waist, they're called legs. And if you put one in front of the other, it's called walking. And it's the simplest form of exercise. And a half hour to an hour a day keeps the doctor away. Now, to contact with God is easy. It might take a little effort on your part, but it's easy. In Psalms, it constantly tells us that his names will save us. And he's got millions of names that all refer to different aspects of his personality. Jehovah means the Almighty One. Eloi, or Eloheinu, means our dear friend. Allah means the all-compassionate one. Imagine blowing up people as a service to the all-compassionate one. Krishna means the all-attractive person. Gopala means the protector of the cows. Govinda means the one that pleases the senses. Abba means father. Ajita means the unconquerable one. So there's so many more. There's millions. So what you do is you find a name that you like, and you talk to him. And it's easy because he is in your heart, and he will know if you are serious. You see, the body is a temple. Why is it a temple? Because it is where you reside and where your father resides. When I say you, your body is a vehicle, not you. You are the driver of the body. You are basically the eternal spirit soul that transmigrates from body to body depending upon your actions and your activities. So if you try to develop an individual relationship with your Supreme Father, who is sitting next to you in your heart, but you don't know about it, making your body a temple, you don't have to go to a synagogue. You don't have to go to a, a temple. You don't have to go to a church because everything you need is right inside your heart. And like I said, if you're serious, if you talk to him, he will help you. Now, the basic format to begin spiritual life is following the Ten Commandments. That was given to Moses 5,000 years ago. However, if you are truly on a spiritual path, and you truly want to have a relationship with him, 
not Moses, but his father and your father. There's four other regulative principles that will direct you down a true spiritual path. Those four regulations are no gambling, no intoxications, no sex outside of marriage, which means you just can't pick up that good-looking chick on the street and take her home and bang her brains out. And fourth and lastly, you cannot consume anything that has a face and a mother or eggs. Why? The soul is transmigrating from body to body. If you eat the body of another creature, you are inhibiting, restricting, and forbidding that soul and that body from making it to a human form, which is the only form accessible for you to have a choice to continue in the material world or to go back home to the spiritual world. It takes time, it takes effort, but it can be done. And you just have to have compassion. The reason why I became vegan, see, it's not a problem not to eat dairy products because if when you eat plant-based foods and milk products, God says he will accept that if you offer it to him. So you, he, he, if, if one of the four regulated principles is not to eat meat, fish, or eggs, then how can you offer that to him? So if you're serious about trying to develop a relationship, you basically become vegetarian because it's less harmful to eat a piece of broccoli than it is to participate in slitting the throat or skinning, uh, uh, slitting the throat of an animal or skinning a fish. And even though you don't do it, the karma involved in that action goes all the way down to the guy who washes the dishes and cleans off the tables in the restaurant. Yeah, I know, you never heard this stuff before, but it's part of life. But it's up to you. If you make that choice, that's good. If you don't make the choice, then your karma, your actions, see, the human form has a choice, unlike any other form. All the lower forms are governed by the laws of nature, they bear no karma, they experience no karmic reactions because they don't have karmic actions. Human forms have a choice. They can gravitate to the world or they can try to connect with God and go back. So if you are trying to be pleasing to God and you center your life around activities that would be pleasing to him may not happen instantly, but your next life, you will pick up where you left off. 
and have the opportunity to go back to the spiritual world instead of coming back to the material world and living like an animal. Because the animal and the people do the same thing. They eat, they sleep, they mate, they defend. So the only difference that can be is that the human form has the ability to connect with his eternal father. If you want to know more, feel free to contact me and I'll, I'll, I'll walk you through it. But anyway, so the point you have to remember is that we all are in the world, but we all do not have to be of the world. So here we are, 2016, and bioagriculture on the planet Earth is deteriorating nutrition and health in general. People are eating pesticides, people are eating insecticides, and then they're looking to the doctors to fix their self to fix their self-inflicted health detriments. All the while, they keep eating the same weed killer and bug killer food. So we're living in a time of smartphones, smart drones, smart meters, but we eat processed, dead, and deadly foods. We are living in a time of jet planes, cross-world video chats, flat-screen liquid TVs, but we are suffering by the millions from preventable diseases like cancer, diabetes, arthritis, heart disease, Alzheimer's, and the list goes on and on and on and on and on. In the late 1930s and the early 1940s, Hitler had his Gestapo and his biotechnology big pharma monopoly called IG Farben. When Hitler took over a new country, he would replace their drugstores with his own, and this helped him weaken the enemy. So it's ironic how now, in 2016, we are our own worst enemy. The food choices we make, the medicines we choose to take or not take, can be all the difference in our health, our wealth, our personal power, and our control of everything we experience. Even our job and our home can be realms of personal power if we don't consume chemicals. But Monsanto, the conglomerate corporation that creates a majority of pesticide-based foods, along with Dow Chemical, DuPont, Bayer, and Syngenta, are all feeding the masses sick food so they can make more trillions of dollars off of sick care. It's the way of the Western world unless you choose to make a different choice with every dollar you spend. There's two types of people in the world, those who want to control you and those who want to empower you. Even corporations can be viewed in that same light because their products can be part of manipulating 
you and taking your money, or they can be part of your healthy, happy, and progressive lifestyle. Hitler was all about controlling everyone's thinking, not just the Jews. Hitler wanted everyone to be a racist and follow his mental scheme to have one race run the world. He was a murderer and had millions of people tortured and gassed as a means to his end. Today, the biotech and the GMOs are not much different. Millions of people suffer yearly and die of cancer, diabetes, arthritis, osteoporosis, strokes, Alzheimer's, heart disease, and plenty of other preventable diseases. Monsanto manipulates the seeds of Mother Nature's vegetables and fruits to contain weed killer and bug killer. This is like inhaling deadly gas a little at a time. Did you know that chemotherapy was invented by the Nazi scientists who made the gas that killed the millions of Jews? It's a twisted way to address cell mutation disease with something that mutates your cells. Western medicine is evil in some ways, but most doctors have no idea that the pharmaceuticals they recommend and prescribe make things worse for humanity in the long run. Now it's all in the water supply. Pesticides, herbicides, medications, chemo, fluoride, and the confined animal feeding operations are just like the Nazi concentration camps. If you have not seen them, you should see them. Some of the animals are tortured, they're suffering sickness and disease, they're miserable and dying all around one another, and the biotech is feeding the animals cancer foods or genetically modified soy corn, alfalfa, and canola. Gandhi said the measure of a society can be how well its people treat its animals. So Monsanto makes you sick so that the pharmaceutical industry can mask the symptoms with prescription medications. Do you understand that? Put two and two together. Monsanto is the new IG Farben. So you have to wake up and get smart really quickly. And you have choices. You can buy strictly organic. You can buy from your local farmers. You can question all chemical medications. You can say no to GMOs and to the big farm cartel of 2016. You can look into natural remedies and preventative care via nutrition and superfood, and you can make informed, intelligent choices with every single dollar that you spend from now on. Now, I do a radio show, and I reveal things that you probably don't even know about or whatever. If you have a TV, I encourage all of you 
to subscribe to naturalnews.com. It is by far the most complete and honest website about health and food that you will ever, ever find. Naturalnews.com. So, then we have the clever labeling laws that made it possible for the companies to spray a bacteria-eating virus, the food additive called Listex, on organic food and get away with it. And you can find this cocktail of six bacteria-eating viruses on everything from meat and cheese to fruits and vegetables. And the additive is a combination of trained killers that have been concocted in a lab to target listeria, which is a bacteria responsible for sickening humans. It is just another Band-Aid approach to dealing with the CAFO pathogens and no companies are even required to tell you about it. So what's growing inside your refrigerated package ready to eat product? Could it be superbug listeria or just the biotech BT crytoxin disorder? Maybe it's all just fear mongering. But as consumers are getting more and more savvy about reading labels, the food criminals have to figure out new ways to get around being noticed. So they change names, they use super fine print, they jump to the using of the FDA-approved toxins on even organic foods, which are a perfect example of a flawed food system where checks and balances are virtually nowhere to be found. Even the USDA's certified organic food does not have to pass any heavy metal toxicity tests or have any warnings about mercury, lead, or aluminum content. How safe is that for the environment and human health? And how can the USDA certified organic seal still allow it? The American conventional meat industry uses ammonia and bleach to kill viruses, to kill virus combinations, to kill bacteria, DNA from insects to kill other insects, and soy and corn, insecticide inside seeds to kill beetles and antibiotics, to kill pathogens in bread for slaughter animals, but it doesn't work all the time. So cases of E. coli Cases of salmonella go wild, go widespread, and lead to recalls of all kinds of products. Then they got the cases of superbugs and superweeds are spreading in the U.S. So who is recalling Listex? Who's trying to ban it? Who even knows about it? You know the synonym grass, G-R-A-S, which means generally recognized as safe? This is the FDA's, the Fraud and Drug Administration's favorite way to approve anything that they don't want to spend any money on to research for safety. Then there's another phrase that you might recognize. 
This statement has not yet been evaluated by the FDA. Uh, I mean, come on. For natural and organic vitamins and minerals and herbs and tinctures, that usually means it works and the establishment does not want you to believe it, use it, or be healed from your Listex poisoning, your GMO food, your fluoridated water, or your lab-made pharmaceutical medicine addiction. So the virus safety precaution is an overload of endotoxins that are substances known to provoke allergies, asthma, autoimmune disorders, inflammation, elevated cholesterol, and they even work as a catalyst for colon cancer. The viruses are highly adaptable, so the samples presented to the FDA simply can't be reliable even if the endotoxin levels were undetectable at the time they were approved. This is a complex matter with very, very scary implications. And Intralitex, which is Listex manufacturers, they claim to have purified the viruses. But what happens every year after year is a mystery. So here comes the rub. It's, 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 it's a really interesting rub. The bacterium responsible for sickening humans, right, can battle with friendly bacteria in the digestive system, making it harder to digest food. This will damage your immune system and your first line of defense which is the flora and your gut. So then what will the body do to protect itself from Listex? This is a pretty valid concern. So viral fragments in GMO foods contain viral promoter genes that help foreign DNA infect the the host. So that means that live viruses inside the biotech's genetic the modified corn, soy, cottonseed, canola, and sugar beets can recombine to create more aggressive viruses. That's where the term recombinant comes from. So you ever worried that you're going to get a flu shot or vaccination with a live virus and then come down with some sickness that you're being inoculated to avoid? Imagine getting live viruses into your food, spraying your food with bacteria-eating viruses, and then getting a flu shot all in the same day. <laughs> so what you got to do is you got to look for sustainable local farms that, I mean, that grow plants that are organic, that use less pesticides. You got to look for certified organic foods. You got to ask questions of the manufacturer about heavy metal toxins, known carcinogens, and if they use Listex. America is full of immunocompromised adults thanks to allopathic medicine, chemotherapy, and genetically modified foods. Educate your family. Educate your friends. Educate your kids. Educate your neighbors. And above all, educate yourself about the natural health news that affects your daily life. Don't be one of the 1,600-plus Listex victims this year 
or some other kind of victim of food terrorism. Never eat GMO anything. It's a cold, hard fact that pesticides and insecticides cause cancer and mental illness. Try not to become a trick for the big food pimp. Seriously. There ain't nobody out there that can take responsibility for you besides you. I, I, you know, I wrote a book. It's called A Sane Diet for an Insane World. And you can read about it at www.asanediet.com. The last chapter, and I say this repeatedly, is called At the Waterhole. You can lead a horse to water, but that doesn't mean he's going to drink it. So the information that I'm giving you is leading you to the waterhole. What you do with that is on you. I mean, I can't force you to change your diet. I can't say you have to, you got to. Well, you have to and you got to. There's no other way around it. You know, I'm in senior softball leagues. And I see guys, I mean, it's amazing that they're still out there playing ball. I got to hand it to them. They can't bend to pick up ground balls. So if you hit a ground ball to the third baseman, it's always a base hit. They can't run. Most of the guys have cancer. Most of the guys have diabetes. They mostly all have arthritis. They're all overweight. But they're out there trying to do what they can do. Yet, when I tell them that they have to switch to a plant-based diet, they laugh at me. They say, well, just because you don't have any sicknesses, just because you don't have any operations, just because you don't have any disabilities, it doesn't mean that it's better. How do you, I was talking to a guy the other day, had prostate cancer. So I said to him, you got prostate cancer. What are you going to do about it? He says, well... You're going to tell me I have to change my diet? I say, yeah. He said, why would I have to do that? I said, don't you understand that your digestive tract is a convoluted switchback road? When you eat plants, which mix with your saliva, that passes your body in two, two, two to three to four days. When you eat the muscles, which is what you eat of any animal or fish, you can't you, that doesn't mix with your saliva, so you swallow it. It gets caught in the switchback road. All those poisons, all those toxins, all those chemicals, all those hormones, all those hormones and antibiotics, where do you think that goes if it doesn't pass out of your body in seven days and you eat three squares a day of all that? And the guy just looked at me and his jaw dropped. But he ain't changing his diet. <laughs> and that's reality. What, a, what am I supposed to tell you? I'm just a guy. A simple guy. I, I'm not a fancy guy. I'm not. I'm, I'm nobody. I'm just a guy that... 
appreciate the fact that my father is your father. And if we all have the same father, that makes us all brothers and sisters. And usually when you're part of a family, you try to let the family know about things that will help them and about things that will hurt them. So this is basically why I do what I do. Um, I, I, don't, I don't make any money off of this, guys. I'm paying for my own airtime. I don't have any sponsors because I want to be able to tell the truth. And I'm telling you seriously, you should all subscribe to naturalnews.com. It's free. They don't charge you anything. It's totally, totally free. And you can learn so much. It might be a little bit too much to learn, and it might be a little bit of a shock to your reality, but it will help you because if you can get out from under the prescription drugs and all the deadly chemicals that you eat in food, and you can extend your life and you can improve your health and you can become more active physically, that is a blessing in disguise. And like I said, your body's a temple. Treat it as such. Don't flood it with alcohol. Don't flood it with drugs. Don't flood it with tobacco. And understand that your father is living in your heart right next to you. And try to approach him. And if you're serious about it, he will know it and it'll all work out. I got about a minute. And uh, I'm really addicted to George Harrison's My Sweet Lord. And uh, I'll let him take us out. And uh, I'll catch you all next week. Thank you very much for listening. Aloha. heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, and Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family.
Well, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Alfred Adisk, and this is Financial Survival for the Wednesday Night Edition. The program is brought to you by Discount Gold and Silver at 1-800-375-4188 for all your gold and silver coin needs. And this is uh, the second day of March, year of our Lord, 2016. We'll start out with the market report um, at the beginning of the second segment of the program. James Corbett is scheduled to join us from Japan, and we will be talking about geopolitics, whatever is of interest from around the globe. Uh, first off, gold is up $7.80 today on the New York market, uh, closed out at $1,240.50 an ounce. Silver is up $0.12 cents to $15 an ounce. Platinum is down 4 $938 an ounce. Palladium is up two or was up two to $521 per ounce. Uh, the overnight markets, gold is down a buck so far. Platinum is down another dollar. Palladium is down four bucks and, and silver is unchanged. Uh, where are we for paper markets? Dow Jones. Up 34 points today to 16,899. Uh, NASDAQ up almost 14 points to 4,703. New York Stock Exchange is up 68 points, 66 points, excuse me, to 9,837. And U.S. dollar index is up, well, it's... It, it's up, and this is, I believe this is in the overnight market. It's currently at 98.23. Um, finally, crude oil up a couple dollars today. I'm looking at the overnight market. It's currently at $34.70 a barrel, which isn't high, but it's a big improvement over 28 or 29. So the people in the, in the oil patch ought to be happy about it. It looks like crude is going to... We'll see how far it goes. But I don't get the impression that crude is about to drop down into the teens, as some people have suggested in the past. What else have we got here? A couple of comments. Uh, here's, here's an article from Simon Black, who publishes a newsletter called Sovereign Man. And he recently, just in the last day or so, Matter of fact, I think it was today. Uh, he published an article entitled, Did You See Warren Buffett's Proclamation About Social Security? Now, most of the article dealt with Warren Buffett, but there was a section of the article that I thought was particularly interesting. And it said, Social Security's recent annual report states that, there is, that, that its shortfall is at least $42 trillion right that doesn't mean that there's a 42 trillion dollars shortfall this year but collectively that's how much social security's got to come up with to make good on its promises to provide for people's retirement on into the future this liability is staggering 42 trillion dollars to put that number in context even if warren buffett gave the entirety of his 66 billion dollar fortune to social security he would only be able to plug the gap for a whopping 43 days 
Now think about this. Federal government claims the national debt is in dollars, but then admits that the Social Security shortfall is $42 trillion. That's more than twice as large as the national debt. Doesn't that tell us that the total debt owed by the federal government is closer to $100 trillion? as claimed by John Williams at ShadowStats.com, or even $200 trillion, as claimed by economist Lawrence Kotlikoff and the Congressional Budget Office? I mean, how can we have a $19 trillion national debt if there's a $42 trillion shortfall in Social Security? It's not possible. Um... The system, according to Simon Black, the system is beyond repair, and to presume that all of Social Security's promises can be honored is simply insane. This is just parallels what I've been saying for probably five years now. What can't be paid won't be paid. We are coming to a moment where we are going to actually have to confront the fact that the debt that we have run up as a government and as a nation is too great to ever be repaid. We are in circumstances analogous to that of Greece. Right, so we think, oh, poor little Greece, they've got to deal with their debt problem. And that problem is nothing in proportion to their nation compared to the debt problem we have in the United States. Huh? We are, and we're coming to a moment when the government is going to have to face the fact that it can't make it can't make good all of its promises. They've got promises to support the poor and promises to support women and promises to support children and promises to support the military and promises here, there, and whatever. They can't keep all the promises because they don't have enough money to do so. Uh, let me see. And the article continues. Now, this, this is where it really gets interesting. Not only did Uncle Sam post an even greater level of insolvency this year than it did the year before. Um, well, that sentence, is a little, that sentence is from Simon Black, but it's not quite correct. It's a portion of a sentence uh, that I've edited. But here's what they're saying. Last year's shortfall was $18 trillion for Social Security. This year's shortfall is more than double last year's $18 trillion. How can this be? Was the $18 trillion in debt uh, that they reported, was the balance, was it hidden? They reported $18 trillion, said, oh, Social Security's short 18 trillion last year did they overlook an additional 24 trillion did they uh did they hide it they think don't say anything about don't say anything about the other 24 trillion how did they go from 18 trillion last year to 42 trillion and this is just for social security how did that happen in a single year i don't believe that social security costs went up that much in a year the fact, the reported fact, again by Simon Black, these numbers, if the numbers are accurate, 
it indicates that the government has chosen to report an additional $24 trillion in shortfall this year, more so than they did last year. And I've got to wonder why. In just last twenty, in last twelve months, what persuaded government to admit the existence of another twenty-four trillion in debt? Could it be the government is anticipating some sort of bankruptcy? Are they sitting back and they're saying, you know, this whole thing's going to hit the fan here any day now, and we're going to be forced to declare bankruptcy? And when we are, we've got to admit how much debt we've got, or the hidden debt. If we don't admit, if we don't fess up to all the debt that we've got. The debt that we don't admit prior to the bankruptcy will continue to haunt us in the aftermath. When they go from admitting there's $18 trillion last year to $42 trillion this year, I don't know what the reason is. I'm just, I'm just speculating. I have, you know, just, uh, just guessing, speculating, that's all. But something extraordinary has happened. You know, again, put that six put that $42 trillion in, in context another way. The total gross domestic product for the United States is about $16, $18 trillion a year. Social Security, the current shortfall, according to these reports, are more than more, two close to three years of gross domestic product for the United States. That can't be paid. There's no way that's going to be paid, all right? And put it in context another way. If I recall correctly, the gross domestic product for the world is in the neighborhood of $70 trillion per year. And here we have $42 trillion that is for a shortfall on Social Security. How is that going to be made up? And the answer is it's not going to be made up. It's not going to be paid And sooner or later, those of us who rely on Social Security to support us in our golden years are going to be badly disappointed. And it may be that we won't see that disappointment for five years, and it may be that we won't begin to see that disappointment for another five months. Nobody knows when this stuff is going to hit the fan. But anyone who looks at this understands that there is going to be a moment when the fan hits the stuff or the stuff hits the fan. And when it does, it's going to be messy and unpleasant for all of us. Here's an article from the Washington Times. This was this came out Tuesday. And it Trump eyes Super Tuesday landslide. It was before the it was before the Super Tuesday primaries, twelve primaries were decided. And uh The headline is Trump eyes Super Tuesday landslide as Republicans beg voters to back away. Now, stunned by polls showing Mr. Trump easily leading in most of a dozen states that vote on Tuesday, and a new poll showing him approaching majority support among Republicans nationwide, Republican leaders, strategists, and candidates pleaded with voters to back away from Mr. Trump. They allegedly encouraged them to not even vote in the Republican primary. They despise Trump. The leadership of the Republican Party despises Trump so badly that they were discouraging people from voting for him. 
from even voting in the in the Republican primaries. Republicans. Um, voters also continue to support, uh, continue to build support behind Mr. Trump in a CNN ORC survey of registered Republicans and GOP uh, leaners, showing them showing him with 49% of the vote nationally. That suggests that Mr. Trump was right in saying that he could pick pick up supporters when other candidates withdrew from the race, uh, such as New Jersey Governor Chris Christie and former uh, Florida Governor Jeb Bush. Now, this isn't only a report about Republican leaders betraying rank-and-file Republicans, and that's what's going on here. This isn't the only report. Um, the Republican establishment is simply saying, hey, we don't care what the Republican, the rank and file people in the Republican Party want. They may want Donald Trump, but screw them. We run this party, and we're not here to serve the people in the Republican Party or serve the people in the United States. We're running this party, we're controlling this party, and if if it doesn't do what we want to be done, which is to nominate Cruz or Rubio, doesn't do what we want done, then we'll shut her down. The Republican leadership is willing to openly betray the Republican Party in order to maintain their control. And ZeroHedge.com published another article entitled, The GOP is on the verge of a meltdown. Senior Republicans threaten to vote for Hillary. Now, according to that article, senior Republican leaders are sitting back and saying, look, we're not going to put up with this Trump guy. And it's not just a matter. The thing that, that that irritates me about this is they're not simply saying we don't care about Trump, we don't like Trump, we don't want Trump. They're saying we don't agree with a majority of the Republican Party voters, or a very near majority, who are in supporting Trump. They're saying to heck with the great unwashed. They don't run this place. We do. The elements of the Republican Party's leadership are not only discouraging Republican voters from voting for Trump in the primaries, they're even warning that they will personally vote for Hillary Clinton before they vote for Trump. The willingness of some Republican leaders to turn their backs on Trump is evidence that these Republican leaders' loyalty is to a single establishment that includes both Republican and Democrat elected officials, but doesn't really include the ordinary people who identify with the Republican Party. Trump is the number one contender for the Republican nomination because the ordinary people in the Republican Party want him to be their candidate. By rejecting Trump, some Republican leaders are essentially saying, screw you, as I pointed out earlier, to the rank-and-file Republicans who've pushed Trump to the top of the polls. These Republican leaders don't lead, and they refuse to follow. Their only objective is to control Republican voters and lead them into neo-fascism and or the New World Order. I have no idea how many Republican leaders are actually working against the Republican Party's apparent determination to nominate Donald Trump. I assume there's only a handful of such disloyal Republican leaders. But the perception of widespread disloyalty is exactly why so many people are sick of the Republican Party's hypocrisy and disloyalty to the rank and file. The Republican Party sells us out to by cooperating with Obama. They sell us out by working against Trump and perhaps for the Democrat candidate, candidate Hillary. 
They bet that the rank and file will accept these betrayals because there's no other viable political option other than the Democrats. I mean, if you don't like the way the Republican leadership runs things, what are you going to do? Are you going to quit and vote Democrat? They will, but they know you won't. All right? They don't like what's going on. They'll support the Democrats. In that perceived treachery, these Republican leaders, no matter how few they may be, only inspire the determination and the hearts of the Republican rank and file to nominate Donald Trump, no matter what. Thus, in a sense, Trump candidacy was ultimately inspired and empowered by whatever Republican leaders there are that aren't really Republicans. You know, rhinos, Republican in name only. Um, but are merely agents of an establishment that includes and controls the upper echelons of the Republican and Democrat parties. Uh, that's who the Republicans, and we've had this sense for, I think, I, I, would, I would suppose that most of you are aware of what I'm talking about. You've had a similar kind of suspicion that the Republicans are just selling people out they're not really taking care of the, the Republican leadership, not the Republican, not the rank and file Republicans. They're doing what they do, what they want, what they think is right. But the Republican leadership is saying, we don't care what you're doing. We're running this thing. It tells us there's, really, there's not really a Republican Party. Those of us who think that we are members of the Republican Party. We're just we're just spear carriers. All right. The leadership, the establishment, they run the Republican Party for their own benefit, and they control the Republican rank and file, or at least they, they intend to. And the Trump candidacy and the reaction from the Trump success and the adverse reaction from the top of the Republican Party is evidence of that fact. We're going to take a break for some commercial announcements. We'll be back in a moment with James Orbit. Please stay tuned. will be a part of our future. The question is, how do we protect ourselves? Are you willing to put your trust in untested vaccine, hoping it kills mutating viruses? Remember, in 1976, health officials tried to inoculate Americans with swine flu, and there was a 300% death rate for those inoculated, and millions were paid out in damages. God gave you a sophisticated immune system, and in times of need, you can make it 10 times stronger. So there's no need to panic. Just get prepared. Call Apothecary Herbs to order your upgraded pandemic kit. You will have eight professional strength formulas offering broad-spectrum immune-boosting protection. Take a stand. Have a plan. Have peace and request your pandemic kit today. Call Apothecary Herbs toll-free, 866-229-3663, or online, thepowerherbs.com. That's 866-229-3663, or thepowerherbs.com. Since the beginning of the United States, kings have sought it, nations have fought for it. It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. 
Invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now. American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. Hi, folks. I'm Alfred Adisk, and this is Financial Survival, brought to you by Discount Gold and Silver at 1-800-375-4188 for all your gold and silver coin needs. Our, ja- our guest is James Corbett from thecorbettreport.com. Uh, the report focuses on geopolitical issues uh, around the world, and uh, always a pleasure to have James on the program. I try to stump him with questions from time to time, and I haven't had much success at it. It's really remarkable. James seems to know something about almost everything geopolitical. <laughs> seems is a good word. Yeah, I understand that. I, I, I know I'll find I'll find a chick in the air over here one of these days. How are you doing, James? I'm doing pretty good. I'm uh, I, I'm a little bit croaky today. My voice seems to be going a little bit, but I'm going to do my best. All right, I've got a. I'm going to start this. I'm tired of trying to find intelligent questions to ask you. I'm going to start with an odd question. All right, a couple of premises. I saw a video just in the last couple of days of robots, and it focused on half a dozen different robots, and at least two of them were in Japan, and it included now NAO and Asimov the brands of two of the robots. You may have seen these. I don't know if you've seen them or not, if they were, if you recall seeing them, but they're really quite extraordinary. And it's clear that Japanese robot technology leads the world right now. We're not just talking about automation for machines. We're talking about little creatures, well, little machines, but they look like people. They have two arms, two legs, a head, and so on. And uh, it's surprising how beguiling these these little machines are. The second premise, Japanese demographics. Young Jap- Japanese aren't re- reproducing in sufficient numbers to sustain the Japanese society and nation. Although that's according to some reports I've heard. You'd know better. And three, there's a certain amount of xenophobia in Japan, where Japanese have a reputation for alleged- allegedly disliking foreigners, except Canadians, of course. 
uh, living <laughs> in their country. Uh, faced with a shortage of Japanese children, Japan is reportedly closing schools rather than to allow an influx of fertile foreigners would presumably reproduce and sustain the Japanese economy. And finally, the questions. Are the Japanese building and perhaps even perfecting robots to compensate, at least in part, for the refusal of young Japanese to reproduce? Do some Japanese imagine that their robots might one day substitute for enough of their declining numbers of children to sustain their nation? Do you see what I'm saying here? I do. I do see what you're saying. It is a bit of an odd question, but there is a logic to it. Uh, I would say this is not the reason or the primary reason that these robots are being worked on, but there is something to that, isn't there? And we've seen this in any number of stories uh, of, for example, um, nursing care. They're trying to get more robotic nursing care uh, here in the country because, of course, as as People might know it's an aging country. It is uh, it's primarily elderly people at this point, and it's only going to get more and more uh, elderly as the years go on. And there's going to be a shortage of nurses and people who can take care of elderly people. They're already talking about the idea of having, you know, healthcare robots that can fluff your pillow and give you, an, give you a shot or something like that, uh, something along <laughs> those lines. So that's, that's already an idea that is being talked about and they're explicitly working toward. And another idea that has been floated around is the idea of sex robots, robots for the purposes of, I guess, uh, well, people who don't have boyfriends or girlfriends. Well, here's your robot lover. That is at least an idea that's been talked about. I don't know how serious that is at this point, but I suppose one can imagine, you know, take this uh, technology forward a few generations and who knows at that point. So I think there is, I mean, we, as, as a, as a, as a society, as a species on this planet, I think we're going to have to start really thinking about these issues in a, in a deeper way than we have before, because there is something to it. The idea that we are kind of building our replacements instead of making our replacements. Yeah. It's strange stuff. I read a book by a man named Robert Ardrey back in the 1960s was called African Genesis. And it talked about mankind's rise coming out of Africa, it supported evolution and so on. But he made the argument that the focus of human culture is not tool making. You know, we say, oh man, the tool making animal. They said, no. If you want to understand mankind, you have to recognize man as the weapon making animal. All right, that was his perspective on this. And it just comes to mind when you talk about they're building robots and they're going to have sex robots. Well, it might be correct. Ardrey's argument that we are the weapons-making animal, maybe it's incomplete. Maybe it should be we are the weapons-making and sexually obsessed animal. Um, and those would right. be the two yeah. focuses of civilization. And uh, there is there is truth to that. I, I think, well, tools, I mean, weapons are an extension of the subset of tools, I would say, or are, are a subset of tools. So I, I think they do go hand in hand. And of course, you just think back to the, the opening scenes of 2001 with the, uh, yeah. the apes discovering tools and then immediately using them to beat each other to death. And I think there is probably some sort of, you know, kernel of truth in that, that imagery as well. So I think that's right. And I, that opens up the, I think probably the more, the more pertinent discussion here rather than, you know, healthcare robots or sex robots is weaponized 
robot. Yeah. And I don't think it takes a lot of imagination to see how these could become the perfect soldiers in the very near future, a lot nearer than people think. And you talk about the Japanese leading the way. The most interesting robot that I've seen and has went somewhat viral on the Internet in the last week or two is from Boston Dynamics, owned now by Google, uh, or Google's parent company, Alphabet Inc., um, that is, I mean, you have to see it to, 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 to fathom it. It really looks quite lifelike at this point in terms of the way that it moves, the way that it can be knocked over and stand back up, the way that it can lift and carry objects around and, and find objects and, and pick them up and, and things like this. I mean, it's, it is really happening now, and it is accelerating. I think at this point we understand that the, uh, the technological in- improvements are accelerating. They're at exponential, on an exponential curve. So it does not take much imagination to see within a decade or two how these could really be the perfect killers. And that is, I mean, that's the scariest part of all of this. One of the strangest things I saw when I watched the videos on the robots that were man-like, right? they looked like people, you know, they, they, the face, they have some of them that even have faces that are, look, that are very close to being, you know, that of people. Most of the robots, they, you could see if you looked, these were still machines. And yet, when you see some of these machines, that they they try to knock them over, right? And you, as you were just mentioning, and they it, the machine is going to pick up this box, and somebody's up there standing there next to the box with a hockey stick, and he keeps shoving the box out of the machine's reach, and the the machine crouches down to pick up the box, and then this guy pushes the box out of the, out of the robot's reach, and the robot stands up again, and then it walks up closer to pick up the box, and he pushes the box out of the way again, and the robot walks up again and pushes. And you wind up feeling a certain amount of sympathy for the robot. You sit there and say, why didn't, he, why didn't that robot smack that guy that keeps pushing the box out of the way? And it's, yeah. I don't know if you felt a similar response. Yeah, no, but... I think, and, and I think that was well reflected in the comments for that video. Everyone was talking about, you know, either either expressing some sort of sympathy or saying, you know, when the robot takeover happens, this guy's going to get it first kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, I know. People rooting for the, the robot in a way. Yeah. Because as humans, of course, we are, we are hardwired to see something human-like and to have some sort of empathy for it, which is, of course, something the robots won't have in return. So that uh, is perhaps a disadvantage for us in, you know, the coming robot holocaust of the future. It all sounds like crazy sci-fi stuff, but if people yeah. haven't seen it, I suggest they check out the video because, yeah. yeah, there's no other way to think about it. And, and yes, you're referring to the, the video that did go viral. It's uh, Boston Dynamics. Yeah. And I, I saw that I, uh-huh. at least one of the versions of that robot, they had it dressed up in fatigues. Mm-hmm. Right? It wasn't just a plastic exoskin on it that, you know, like the now and Asimov. It was dressed up in fatigues. And the way it and, moved uh, and whatever. Let's, let's, it, let's tie it, it all up together. Like a living man. Well, let, let's tie it all up with a bow, because as I said, uh, Boston Dynamics owned by Google's parent company. And guess who was just appointed to the new Pentagon Innovation Advisory Board, advising the Pentagon on how to you know, innovate with new technology? Eric Schmidt, the CEO of Google. Uh, it's literally the merging of the tech state and the military state, if there was ever really a difference. I mean, if you look into the history of Silicon Valley, it was seeded by the government, the military, and the intelligence agencies. Uh, a lot of that, that's where the technology came from. That's where a lot of the people involved in this technology came from. And now they're getting 
you know, absorbed back into the Pentagon quite mm-hmm. openly. It's, uh, I mean, that's, Who's absorbing that's who? who is absorbing who? As, are the military absorbing the, the technology or is the technology absorbing the military? Hmm. Um, it raises interesting questions, and it's, these aren't original questions. You've seen them in science, science fiction movies. Uh, who's really running this show? <laughs> and it's, it's very strange, and it was, it was a little unnerving when I watched it to see that I had sympathy for this machine. That was amazing to me. I wouldn't well, have thought that I, I wouldn't have thought that I was susceptible to that. Exactly right. Was. But but let's I mean let's celebrate that. That is humanity's better instincts. It means you're not a psychopath. That you have human empathy and emotion. That is mm. that is something that is a strength of humanity. But of course, it can be used against us when yep. social engineers want to make something cute and cuddly so that we'll accept it. Unfortunately, we are hardwired more often than not to do so, and it's the same reason why you you, you cry at a you know a movie where there's a cute yeah, cartoon yeah, character true. that gets hurt or whatever. I mean, it's it's the exact same thing, and um, yeah, I mean it's it's both a a strength and a weakness of humanity, I guess. But it's it's humanity. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, it's it's education law. You know, whatever gets me, it won't be boredom. There is uh, something new happening every day. You know, you go, you've seen reports that the world was unchanging during the Middle Ages. People would live in one little hamlet community. They stayed there all their lives. Technology didn't change dramatically. What you knew, you knew the same thing your grandparents knew in terms of what you had to know to get by in your, in your community to do your job. There was a stability there. Nowadays... Where do you where do you find anything that you can just expect? Oh, that'll be the same. Whatever we're looking at here right now, that'll be the same even a week from now. Yeah, yeah. everything's moving. I, I was just reflecting on that the other day, trying to imagine a society that had been the same for generations, and mm-hmm. I, it was difficult for me to do so because, of course, that's not the world we're growing up in. Okay. And it's interesting to me from the perspective of someone who has who has looked at a lot of these social engineers of various sorts who have written in the past about how they want to try to engineer society this way or that way by, you know, with this technology or what have you. But even from their perspective, I think this is really a a sort of uncontrolled experiment with, with humanity itself, because no one really knows when you wrench humans into this ever evolving, extremely fast paced, changing world, on on a, gla- a global scale, I mean, how how are people going to react? No one really knows that for sure, but we're starting to see. I mean, some of the the reactions that people are having to this, and uh, I think that's reflected in a lot of things. And not it's it's difficult to tear that apart from all of the other things that they're reacting to, the economic dislocations or the military aggressions or that those types of things. But it's all part and parcel, and I think uh, we're starting to see that in the the way, for example, the American po- political. Uh, culture is tearing itself apart at the seams. I mean, there's some really strange things happening right now. How will people keep up? Because the reality is this. We are being stressed by technology. It used to be we thought, oh, isn't this cool? (laughs) I got a new ice maker for the refrigerator. Isn't that cool? Technology was clearly our servant, or at least it seemed to be clear. Right now, it is our competitor in a sense that how do you keep up with all of this? And there's, there's a percentage of the population that absolutely can't keep up. 
They don't have enough intelligence to do so. They're going to be left behind, and what's going to happen to them? Uh, I think the short answer is that the logic of the situation dictates that we will eventually have to start incorporating the technology in order to keep up with the technology. That's the idea of transhumanism. It, it, we, we have to start enhancing ourselves with various technologies. And that could be either be, I mean, the brain chip or whatever they come up with, or it could be um, uh, uh, genetic manipulation, those types of things. I mean, th- that's what we're looking at ultimately, is that how are you going to keep up with all of this? Well, you're going to have to start incorporating this technology. And if you don't, you're going to be left in the dust. You're going to be in the dustbin of history, and uh, you'll be an old fuddy-duddy that you know, won't know what's happening and won't be able to keep up. And I don't know, I don't know what the answer to that is, really, because I don't no, think... I understand. I don't, I don't think, think anyone can. innovation is going to stop. You know, I mean, I don't think you can put that cork on the bottle at this point. I agree. So what you're saying is if you can't beat them, join them. Well, I'm not saying that. Robots. <laughs> <laughs> well, just to be clear, I'm not saying that. But I think that is the, the that well, right. certainly there are transhumanists who are arguing that already. And I think there will be a lot more of them in the in the future. All right, let's take a break for some commercial announcements, and I'll be back with James Corbett on Financial Survival in about two and a half minutes. Please stay tuned to Financial Survival. or relationship problems have you feeling stressed out? When life is too much to handle, use Apothecary Herbs Emotional Stress Formula. Feel calm and more in control with herbs especially combined to provide the organic nutrition your system needs to help you cope. Complete instructions for maximum benefit and a money-back guarantee. You've waited long enough. Call Apothecary Herbs now. Toll free 866-229-3663. That's 866 866- Two two nine three six six three. International callers dial seven zero four eight seven five eight zero one zero, or order online at the three w's dot thepowerherbs dot com. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family.
folks, I'm Alfred Adams. This is Financial Survival, and our guest is James Corbett from the Corbett Report, C-O-R-B-E-T-T, report.com. James, like two weeks ago, it seemed that Syria and the Middle East were on the verge of World War III. But over the last week, the news media have been fairly silent about Syria. Have cooler heads prevailed? Have the threats of invasion by Syria, of uh, invasion of Syria by Turkey and Saudi Arabia been uh, quenched? Is World War III less likely? And if so, how long will this respite last? Uh, to be honest, I'm not sure there is a respite, or at least not much of one. Uh, I think perhaps the American news media has just turned its attention to the primaries. Um, but there is, there are still developments going on, and the latest is that, uh, for example, Fox is reporting Russian bombing ahead of peace talks prepares for future fighting. So, uh, again, there's still bombing going on. There's still mudslinging going on, um, perhaps not at the scale that it was uh, re- recently, but still happening. Um, and now Israel is also saying that Syria used chemical weapons during the ceasefire. So, again, uh, I, I think it's still very much a tinderbox. Um, but there's there, I guess they're trying to put out hope that there's some sort of peace process underway right now, but I'll put as much faith in that peace process as I have at any time in this entire, uh, in this entire predicament. Uh, can you, uh, I'll, let me ask you, can you imagine a scenario to end this conflict that will not put egg on someone's face? Because that's the only way this conflict is going to end. And I do not see that right now. I, part of the problem is you have, Who is really in charge in Syria? You know, if you have a war between the allies and the Axis powers, you got an idea who the who the leaders are and who you got to talk to if you want to stop the war, call a truce or whatever. There are so many players in Syria right now that I don't think any one person can claim to be one nation, one coalition. Can anyone claim to be in control, including Syria? Yeah, it's a good question. I would say that the Syrian government has the best claim to control, not not just in a theoretical or moral sense or anything, but in actuality. I think the Syrian government has been on the ascendant in this struggle for, for the last year or so and really turning back a lot of the uh, the, the terrorists. So, so I think that they do have that. I think that's the problem, quote unquote, from the side of, you know, Saudis and Turkey and uh, the NATO powers and all of them who wants to get rid of Assad is that he still very much has the control over uh, most of the country and increasingly gaining so uh, control. So I think, again, the, the fact that they can't just exclude him completely from this is the, the, the stumbling block for, for that side of the conflict. Has, has Assad been strengthened in the minds of the Syrian people? People actually live there, not invaders, not foreigners. People actually live there. Has Assad been strengthened among his own people by the threats of invasion and all of these foreigners trying to interfere in Syrian politics? Well, I, I don't want to speak for the Syrian people, but from the people that I have, I've read, the accounts that I've read, the people that I've talked to, the things that I've, I've seen online, it is my impression that even the people who were not fans of Assad, and there were, I mean, clearly there were people who were not fans of him, many of them are now uh, supporting the Assad government because it is the Syrian government and it is, you know, it's our decision. So I think yeah. there is a rallying to the flag that has happened, and it certainly has increased 
overall in terms of the, the support that people would have been willing to, to display for, for Assad and the government, I think it, it, it is an increase um, over these years. And, and again, it's not, I, I don't think it's that people love Assad per se. It's just that they want their own say over what's happening in their own country. Imagine that. Yeah, how, that's, uh, yeah, that's politically incorrect for sure. Um, let's assume that Assad was overthrown. Would the Syrian people accept whoever replaced him? I suppose it depends overthrown how. Overthrown violently in some well, I'd say know, violently. Invasion. Yeah. If, if it was some sort of invasion scenario, I think there would be still a large resistance to whoever attempted to assert control over the country at that point. And it's, it's unclear who would attempt to assert control. That's, I think, another big stumbling block of the side that wants to sought out is that who on earth has even has the, 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 the semblance of more, the, the sort of moral authority to take over the country, let alone the backing of most of the people. I mean, at this point, I think Assad is the only person who would in, enjoy the, the, at least the tacit support of the majority of the country. Other than that, all you have is squabbling factions of terrorists who may or may not even be Syrians themselves. A lot of them, of course, imported from outside. So who, who is the, the leader that they're trying to replace him with? I mean, it just makes absolutely no sense from that perspective. If, if Assad's ouster is still the stumbling log, is the, is the linchpin, is non-negotiable, I just don't see how this is going to end. Is there any way for the United States, for example, to just sit back and say, look, this is more trouble than we can handle. We're backing out of this. Can they actually back out and leave this alone now or are we ensnared in the sense that we walked into vietnam and we sent some we sent a few special forces troops in and one thing led to another and we wound up in something enormous right. um, are we trapped in this thing or can we back out and say wait this, this is you know we don't have a solution we're out of this place well, I mean, it's a good question. I mean, I guess it's the question of the, 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 the possible versus the politically possible. I mean, uh, imagine Obama came out tomorrow and said, you know what, we're kind of getting out of this mess. I mean, it would be, I, I, one would imagine that there would be a large section of the, the American electorate that would condemn, crucify the Democrats because, oh, you're walking out, you're walking out with your tails between your legs. And even from the, I think, a moral perspective, it is a question of the United States has actually helped foster the Islamic State now. So yep. it, there is some element of responsibility there, and certainly they can't just walk away and, okay, well, now there's an Islamic State in the Middle East. Oops. I mean, there has to be some resolution to that. So I don't think it's a – I mean, obviously we want the, the, the military aggression to stop, but it's a question of how do you end this and the Islamic State and extricate yourself. I mean, I don't really care about the sort of political egg that gets on people's faces. You shouldn't have got yourself into that situation in the first place. But uh, it's not just a question of just walking away. Yeah, I understand if you could escape the problems by walking away. All right, we can, we can imagine that they could cut and run and say, all right, we're out of here. This is too much. But if we stay, we don't run away. How are we going to come out ahead on this thing? Are we darned if we do and darned if we don't? Yeah. Well, I mean, again, come out ahead for whom and in what well, way? Well, all right. Let's just in the minds of the American people. We've, we've yeah. expended a certain amount of resources and whatever. We we got we jumped into this thing. Uh, we've got to come out with some kind of a victory with something we can at least peace with honor. <laughs> Is that what we're headed yeah. for? 
Well, this is the, 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 the real question, because what is America's interest in Syria? I mean, and yeah. why? I mean, to the yeah. average, I'm not talking to the political class, the inside the beltway guys. I'm talking about regular average folks living in wherever, Oklahoma or Texas or Kentucky. What do they care about what is happening in Syria, except for the Islamic State that the American government has helped to foster into existence? And that, that is something that is now a global problem. But the answer certainly can't be more military aggression and trying to do jiggery pokery to get this guy ousted as leader of this country. I mean, that cannot be the solution. So I I think there has to be military disengagement, but there has to be some, uh, well, uh, let's put it this way. Stop supporting all of the groups that are supporting the Islamic State. I mean, that could be the first step towards this, because as has been openly acknowledged by the U.S. government now for some time, yeah, we keep sending them, you know, aid and weapons and all these things. And lo and behold, it keeps ending up with the Islamic State. So as a first order of business, stop doing that. And as a second order of business, finding out how to, I mean, ultimately get rid of the Islamic State would be the other side of this. But it cannot be supporting terrorists to kill other terrorists, because we all know how that story goes. Yeah, to move on to NERP, negative interest rate policies. Here's a couple of sentences from Zero Hedge. It says, when NERP failed to resuscitate global growth and trade, the cash ban calls began. The thinking is simple. If you do away with physical banknotes, the effective lower bound is thereby eliminated. You can make rates as negative as you like because the public has no recourse as people aren't able to push back by eschewing their... uh, bank accounts and in in the mattresses do you agree that NERP has inspired the calls for eliminating physical cash uh well a bit of chicken and egg because i think the calls for eliminating cash have been around for a while but they certainly have increased in recent times and i think they are linked i think there is a sense in which these policies are linked because NERP without uh without taking away the people's ability to to support cash is fairly useless as a, as a monetary tool, like what they're trying to use it for as another extension of their, their ability to ma- manipulate monetary policy. Um, without being able to, to stop the hoarding of cash, NERP doesn't have the effect that, it, it, that they want it to have. So the two go hand in hand. I think they are absolutely linked. And oh, by the way, it also comes with all the kind of police state surveillance controls that the government always wants. So, hey, bonus. I saw a report this last week where southern Florida people are taking it was either Colombian or maybe Venezuelan but I think it was Colombian banknotes as payment for you know bait shops or wherever Um, and the reason that's significant to me is all right the government bans $100 bills and $20 bills and so on we're out of American cash what's going to keep What's going to prevent an influx of some other currency from entering the United States? We've used the dollar all over the world. It's primary currency. You can use it in New Delhi and, uh, you know, in Mexico and any place you want to use it. You could get away with using the dollar. All right, ban the dollar. What's going to stop some other currency from being used? Can they really get away from a physical currency? 
No, ultimately no, because even if they got rid of all fiat paper currencies on the planet, people would just trade in other things like mm -hmm. precious metals or Bitcoin or any other number of yeah. things that could become currency. Because what people fundamentally want to do is trade with their neighbors and have a medium of exchange for doing so. It isn't really a complicated thing, but it's been made into this incredibly complicated system of control that's engineered by a central bank and all of these rules and regulations and laws. But the, uh, the space for the black market opens when that becomes untenable or when they just try to outlaw it altogether. So ultimately, yes, I think you're right. I don't think they can completely get rid of it. I think that's why there's such a push to make the cashless society something that people want. It's so convenient. It's so easy. You, you know, you just scan your card and you're done and you're out. You don't have to fiddle with all this paper or whatever. They want people to want the cashless society so that they don't think about trying to circumvent it. I was talking to Wendy Wilson. We interviewed her earlier today um, on medical issues. And she said, according to some studies, pharmaceuticals have discovered that people are going to hospitals or doctors, and 60% of them aren't taking the meds that the doctors are prescribing because they are worried about the safety of those meds. 60%. This is evidence to me that the people and the Internet is helping people to understand things where the doctor is no longer a little tin god. And likewise, people that are running the Federal Reserve are no longer little tin gods. And people are, they actually are starting to think for themselves and say, I don't want this. Can we, can we impose these currency controls and get rid of the $100 bills and the rest of that when 60% of the people aren't willing to take their, their meds? And presumably these are the same 60% are going to say, look, I, I, want, I want some cash. Because it may not be quite as convenient as plastic or whatever they intend to use in the cashless society. But on the other hand, there's only two parties involved. I go buy something. This guy over here, John, he's got his pickup truck. I want to buy the pickup truck. I don't need a third-party government intervening in this transaction. I'll give him the money. He gives me the truck. Uh, I don't know if there's a question there or not. Well, but, I, but I get what you're going at, and let's put a bow on the whole conversation then, because I think this ties back to what we were talking about earlier, where it's difficult to even imagine the kind of lifestyle people were living 100, 200, 300 years ago, where you know the, the, the world you grew up in would be the same in your childhood and your old mm -hmm. age. It would be the same uh, society your grandparents grew up in. That doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> and in the same way, I think we're seeing this kind of, what the internet and the, the free flow of information has enabled is a true questioning of so many of the fundamental paradigms by which political control has been wielded over the masses. And we're starting to see the dislocation in things like people rejecting medicines that otherwise you would assume 50 years ago, you wouldn't have had that type of uh, rejection. You wouldn't have dared. Or... The doctor said, take it. The doctor We've got to do what the doctor right, says exactly. now. Or, or Trump and Sanders, you know, I mean, those exactly. are reflections of the same phenomenon. Or things like Bitcoin, where people want to try to find a, a way outside of the banking system, and that's going to increase. And the possibilities for doing that increase as, as the, the technology increases as well. The only question to my mind is, uh, ultimately, again, this comes back to consciousness. It comes back to the way that people understand what is happening or just go along with what is happening. If people can be made to desire the cashless society, then they won't think to try to get around it. But if they're placed into a corner where, you know, you either starve or you 
trade with your neighbor in some contraband substance, they're going to trade with their neighbor in a contraband substance. So there is a dislocation that's happening right now. And I see it as a revolutionary moment. Um, I mean, again, think back to the early 20th century and the kind of incredible revolutionary changes that were happening politically and geopolitically and socially and economically at that time. And so for people who have grown up in you know, the late 20th century who haven't seen those types of changes, those kind of crazy revolutionary changes happening quite so much, it, you know, I mean, we may not be used to that, but uh, I think we're going to I think we are approaching that type of era again, and we're going to see some huge changes in the coming years. It'll be interesting. We live in interesting times. The old Chinese curse, may you live in interesting times. Well, we do. James, thank you for being on the program. Hope to talk to you again next week. In the meantime, folks, hope you'll tune in. In the meantime, the good Lord bless you, me, Melody, Frank, the producer, and James Corbett. All right. Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. Most people realize their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. AVR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water. branch has a 
Mission Church in Wichita, Kansas, that helps the victims of this banker's economy, the American people, your neighbors. The mission is the last hope for so many Americans. We need your help to lift up the poorest of the poor. These are men, women, and children who once had homes, now in the street. They all need what you need, first aid, beds,
about what they say. Frank Report. I'm your host, Francis Stephan. You're listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. It is Wednesday, March 2nd, 2016. It's about seven minutes after 8 p.m. Pacific time. If that's when it is where you're at, we are, in fact, live. The call-in number is 800-932-1980, 800-932-1980. That will get you on the air if you want to participate but you don't want to call in you can do so by going to the chat room which is located at our website theamericanvoice.com or americanvoiceradio.com over on the left hand side you will see the link for chat click it it's really easy you'll get in no problem and then you'll be there all right and uh Oh, yes, Yahoo Instant Messenger. If you'd like to contact me directly, my screen name is A-V-R-N Talk. All right, well, there's all that. And, uh, you know, if you missed the show or <laughs> missed any shows, you can also go to the uh, archives. And you can either listen. There's little players there. You can listen or you can download. And that, you know, it says right there, you know, there's a link, and you right-click on it. And that's all that it says. Uh, I'll give you a little extra. You know, you're looking for the save as or save file as. And then you click that, pick a spot on your computer to save it, and uh, there you'll have it. You will want to rename it if you're going to, you know, download other ones or you want to save them all. Then you're going to need to uh, rename them or they will overwrite the next week. All right, it is Wednesday, which is the day after Super Tuesday. And uh, Wednesdays, we normally have Melissa Roxanne on as co-host, uh, you know, if there's no technical difficulties. <laughs> All right, let's see. Welcome, Melissa. Okay, so... Apparently, we're having some of those uh, difficulties yet again. All right. Well, then in that case, I'm just going to have to carry on here until Melissa can figure out what her problem is down there. And um, there is something here that I, I kind of was going to mention anyway, so I'll do it now. I know Melissa's really not interested in the uh, 
elections that much. But this is kind of uh, something that is, <laughs> I mean, it just, it, it, it's so typical, it has become typical of Ted Cruz. You know, I really didn't mind Ted Cruz that much before he started running for president. Because all I knew about the guy was, okay, he did a filibuster, you know, he got up there, he tried to do something, you know, and okay, great. You know, I, I, I got nothing against somebody like that. But then he started this campaign and started doing some real slimy things. And now he's done something else. Okay, so I get this email. You know, it's from the Ted Cruz 2016 campaign. Yeah, I sign up for all these things because I like to see what they're saying. Hey, I even get emails from the Southern Poverty Law Center. <laughs> you know, these guys are not Southern. They, they don't live in poverty, and they're not concerned with the law. Okay, but anyway. Ted Cruz, the the head, the, the, the big yellow, big big black letters with yellow highlight over it. Breaking, we won with an exclamation point. You won. Okay, well, Ted Cruz. Yeah, he says huge Super Tuesday victory, but I still need your help. Well, of course you do, and help means money. We won huge victories in Texas, Oklahoma, and Alaska last night. Really? Okay, well, Texas is the state that Cruz is a senator for. So, you know, look, I don't think anybody would have thought he would lose his own state. I mean, if he did lose his own state, he's over. Okay, you're going home, pal. That's it. You can't even win in your own state. You're out of here. You, you you got no chance, okay? So everybody pretty much figured that he, you know, he'd win Texas, and that is a huge victory. I mean, it's 155 delegates. It's big time, all right? However, and okay, Alaska, well, there's very few delegates there. That's like calling, oh, winning in Oregon a huge victory. Well, it's not a huge victory unless, well, you're down by, uh, you know, one electoral vote, and you got all three from Oregon. Woohoo! Wow! Yeah, big victory. Anyway, so, uh, you know, so you expect to win Texas, and you do. You win Alaska, which doesn't really matter that much. I mean, it's a big state, but there's very few people there. And then there's Oklahoma, which that's nice and all, except, see, the problem with Oklahoma is... Oklahoma doesn't give any delegates through the primaries. <laughs> so, all right, so basically the big, huge victory is Texas. Because Oklahoma and Alaska is like, yeah, so? You didn't get any delegates in Oklahoma. You, you got a few delegates in Alaska, and you won your home state. The, do you people consider that a huge victory? See, I don't. I really don't. And, and, you know, and now he says, well, we're in second place in the delegate count. Do you realize, now listen, Cruz has uh, has just about half of what Trump has, but he has 161, last I looked. 155 of them. Okay? 155 of them came from Texas, winning in Texas. Wow, where's that leave him if he didn't win Texas? 
anyway, so I get this email here, and blah, 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 blah. And, um, of course, he wheels out his wife, Heidi. Yes, his wife, Heidi, you know, the woman who works for Goldman Sachs, or worked for Goldman Sachs. I don't know if she still does. I, I'd be kind of surprised if she still works there. And there was something else about her, too, but I can't remember what, so I won't try to say. But, I mean, this is like, you know, uh, you know, it's crazy. And, and he goes on here, here are the facts. In order to win Texas, his own state, Oklahoma, which gives no delegates, and Alaska, who gives almost no delegates, as well as pick up many delegates across other Super Tuesday states, I had to dig deep into our campaign accounts, all but depleting my political budget. <laughs> I see. So, see, Cruz is just so typical. It's not about content. It's not about entertaining. You know, it's not about having different ideas. It's not about speaking to the people or doing the will of the people. It's about money. How much money you got? How much money is it costing? You know, I mean, that's it. Eh, you know, I look, I like Cruz better than Rubio, but that ain't saying much, okay? And, you know, I like <laughs> I like Trump better than Cruz, and that ain't saying much either. But, you know, what are you going to do? Somebody is getting elected. Okay, somebody is getting nominated. Okay, they're going to do this, unless they don't. Which, you know, that's where Melissa... Uh, believes things are, but uh, if Melissa was here on the air, she could tell you. Hello. I don't know what happened. Everything was set up, and you know how things happen. Uh-huh. Anyway. Yeah, anyway. Yeah, so. like I told you, I either think that... Oh, wait Serper, a minute. Either? Yes, I told you that off the air not long ago, and I don't think you even remember, but... You were saying that... You didn't think there was going to be any election. Okay, so either that now there's going to be either. Yeah, now there's going to be either. I see. Well, you, you know what they do to Are Trump you ready? He changes his mind about things. So either something's going to happen and Usurper is staying right where he is, or if that does not happen, then I believe he's going to become Secretary of the UN. And and try to wield power over the whole world. That's what I believe. So one of the two. No kidding. Either way, he's gonna be. I believe he is the Antichrist. So we'll see what happens. Uh, yeah. And he has all these heads, like scars, all over his head already. And I've even seen scars on his face that I bet you haven't seen because I just saw him for the first time. But. He's got some weird scars all over his head and even on his face, so makes you wonder. But, um, you know, what they did to him? Maybe they made him out of spare parts. There's no telling, but uh, anyway, I have been wanting for weeks to get to something about Scalia, and, you know, I wasn't on last week, so I'm hoping I can get to it now. We'll get to okay. it. All right, so let's see. Three... These are three ways that Scalia may have been murdered. Okay, so one is smothered. 
Many conspiracy-minded people are pointing to a small detail to throw some suspicion over Scalia's death, a pillow found over his head. So could someone have entered his room and used that pillow to asphyxiate him? This method only really works with really old or young people or those already unconscious, which that's what they're saying. I don't believe that part. But. Well, uh, hello, Scalia was very old. That's true. There are usually telltale signs of these murders. Not only will most victims struggle, leaving signs of the fight behind, but the suffocation takes up to five minutes, and the body shows this with hemorrhages under the skin. But there's a catch. Sometimes the suffocation triggers a heart attack, leaving the corpse without many of the signs of a homicide. And we all know about the talk about him having a heart attack, right? I mean, first, they, well, yeah, you know, the story changed it was a heart attack, then it wasn't a heart attack, and it's back and forth, so who knows? But, um... Even a close examination can miss the cause, this cause of death by suffocation, which could lead to a heart attack. Quote, homicidal smothering is extremely difficult to detect. And that's a direct quote, and that's from a book on forensic pathology written by Dennis Rao, R-A-O, and that's D-I-N-E-S-H-R-A-O is his last name. The autopsy, it says, may reveal asphyxia, but there may not be any corroborative medical evidence to prove foul play. So, yeah, but now who is this guy? Um, well, I don't know much about him, but it's Dinesh Rao. That and he, he stated, wrote a book about what? That's a book on forensic pathology. So he's probably a pathologist, and he wrote a book about this. But, you know, what can he know? Uh, the little judge girl Mexican <laughs> chick on the phone said it was all natural. So, we, you know, th what else is there to say? Yeah. Okay, so number two possibility is that he could have been poisoned. And, and these are just three out of many. I'm sure there's many, many more. You know, there's that, that uh, flechette gun and all that, you know. Um, poisoned. Assassination by poison is an ancient art form. It's also a good way to kill people without getting caught. Let's say you're the professional killer hired by, they go, oh, let's just go the whole way and blame this on the White House. You can tell where they're coming from, you know. They're trying to cover it all up here. They might ask how you plan on doing this. Well, the killer would respond, I'm a trained nurse, and I'm a big fan of this muscle relaxant called choline. It's the stuff we inject into patients when we want to jam breathing tubes down their throats while they're still awake. But get this, in high enough doses, it paralyzes people so they can't breathe. Most autopsies show this as a heart attack. It's brilliant. The White House aide smiles. Then let's take out that. It's a bad word, so. Um, then it says, sound far-fetched? Well, sure, but a similar scheme killed Nevada State Controller Kathy Augustine when her husband injected her with succinylcholine. The husband was nabbed when co-workers reported that he was pondering ways to kill her and looked more closely at her body. They found a small needle mark. 
The drug doesn't leave any direct traces, but it breaks down and leaves metabolites behind that can indicate a poisoning. But the medical examiner has to be looking for those signs to catch them during autopsy or purposely overlooking them, right, Frank? Mm-hmm. And he didn't have an autopsy, so hey. Nobody even had to purposely That's overlook because anything. Cinderella called it as a natural, he's peaceful, and there's no nothing to worry about. Yeah. The third um, way, according to this, is that he could have been gassed. It says the paranoid can also ponder whether Scalia could have been killed with a gas. One easy choice would be to use carbon monoxide poisoning, undetectable by smell or color. There have been cases where a murderer has run a hose from the tailpipe of a car into a room where the victim is sleeping. A doctor in Ohio named Mark Wangler did this in 2006 and got caught, mostly because his claim that the victim had a seizure was proven false. Prosecutors showed that she was dead when the call was made. All a hired killer would need is a commercially available canister of carbon monoxide and a hose. There's a catch, though. There are usually telltale signs when a person is killed by carbon monoxide. There may be froth at the mouth and nose, the kind of evidence absorbed by a pillow, perhaps. The skin and internal organs can become bright red, almost like a stain. It's unlikely that such clues would be ignored by a medical examiner. If a medical, medical examiner... examiner had done an autopsy and even looked at the guy. So, yeah. But they're playing everything down in this, you know, totally well, they're covering an article. And they're, they're going through things like, uh, well, you know, look, the drug with the needle. Yeah. That's probably the, the what they did. And the thing right. is, it's like, yeah, well, uh, even with an autopsy, they wouldn't have found that. Other than they, they, you know, because co-workers said, oh, well, he was contemplating her death, so they looked closer. This guy, Scalia, didn't even get, a, get an autopsy, I know. crying out loud. I know. Because Cinderella said it wasn't necessary. Guevara. I know. So, they say, at the end of the day, one thing can be said with absolute certainty. There are too many questions and irregularities to pronounce the cause of death of Justice Scalia as natural causes or heart attacks. This is what the government and mainstream media have both attempted to do with no evidence whatsoever. Therefore, the only remedy is a thorough investigation of this matter, which we know is never going to happen, by a truly objective and disinterested party who possesses the appropriate experience and knowledge of a forensic medical examiner. Two ladies been embalmed and yeah. thrown in the ground. Then they say there ought to be at least two or three competent professionals working independently on this cold case. Now, all we need is Cinderella. Yeah. That's right, and the fairy godmother, maybe. When a highly prominent Supreme Court of the United States justice passes away under exceedingly mysterious circumstances, the U.S. federal government is obligated to go out of its way to arrive at a conclusive cause of death. Not to do so is a grave offense against the American Republic as well as the American people. So, yeah. Well, I agree with that. Yes, I mean, so other than I. they were being a little... Uh, demeaning towards people who think there's something going on. Right. Uh, That's not the original article I'd read, um, but when I tried to find it, you know, this one just excerpted some of it, and, you know, so they're more like trying to cover everything up. But, um, yeah, I thought that was pretty good, you know, those three 
three ways, and, and there could be many more ways. Those are just three. So, but unfortunately, nothing will ever be known or done about it. Well, it can't be until now. They Jesus covered up returns, the evidence, and then maybe like we'll they, find out. You know, look, Oklahoma City. They tore the building down, put a big fence around it. Nobody was allowed to look at anything except them. World Trade Center, yep, same thing. Shipped off the metal you know, to China. You know, uh, Scalia, oh, embalm them, throw them in the ground, quick. Uh, Waco, oh, yeah. same thing, burn to the ground, destroy the evidence. Uh, Gordon we Hall, have, burn them to yeah. death, destroy and the didn't evidence. Didn't we have a, an attorney? I mean, you were on with her last night, you and Dean, mm-hmm. and she was talking about that very thing. Yeah. Didn't she say that they, unless I'm wrong, either that or I read it somewhere. Well, you were wrong were they, about last night. Were they, okay, I meant Monday, but they embalmed the person or something like immediately, like right away, and the medical examiner was asked to do it and not have a funeral or anything. Okay, I know what it was. She posted it in the chat room, mm-hmm. and I read it, and it was how they, you know, they take somebody's, all their property, and, you know... Get somebody that wants to take all everything away from them, um, steal everything they've got money-wise and property-wise, which was her own daughter, I believe. And uh, and then the daughter had the medical examiner or whatever, the, you know, instead of having a funeral and doing everything the normal way that somebody would do, she didn't allow a funeral or anything, and she had them embalm this woman on the spot. It was an elderly lady. However, she was feisty. She was playing canasta or cards, whatever card games, you know, with her friends, and, and she was uh, like a health-minded person. She didn't want to take drugs and on and on, and they took everything, and they embalmed her like it was just really weird, everything, and she did it to cover up, you know, whatever. Uh, they actually drugged her. You know, they drugged her for a long time, a period of time, you know, and put her in a nursing home and all this stuff. So um, that's what they do. And and the lady, I wrote it down. I thought what she said was really good. I think she's been on Dean's show before. Her name is Joanne yeah. Dennison. And she said what they do is, in guardianship cases, the mantra is target, isolate, medicate, drain the estate, Terminate, well, she said eliminate. I said terminate and cremate. That's what they normally do. So, anyway, if you missed that show, you should go listen to it in the audio archives because it was really good from Frank's Monday night show. Well, yeah, and it's it's going on all over the country. I mean, she's in yep. Illinois. Dean's got a, a similar thing going on in New York. Ten years ago up in Portland, Oregon, it was big breaking news. Judges and lawyers were, you know, being investigated for doing exactly the same thing. And I have no doubt it's going on everywhere else. Uh, What's his name uh, that Dean has on also? Gosh, I forget his name. Uh, But he's in Florida, and he says senior citizens down there are afraid to renew their driver license because uh, they're afraid that when they do, they'll see how old they are and, uh, and come and get them. You know, and Florida was, you know, probably one of the most famous probate court cases ever to be as, you know, publicized as this one was with Terry Schindler. You know, that was another probate judge. The probate is, and, and that was in Florida too. So you know, the, the probate. Yeah, that was Judge thing. George Greer. Probate is a really, really bad, bad thing. Uh, it's designed basically to steal. Any assets 
from anybody dead and 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 deny any kind of inheritance to the family is really what it's all about. And they figure, hey, who easier to rob than dead people? You know, who easier to rob than old people drugged out of their mind in some, uh, you know, gulag? Really, who easier? And years ago, I can't remember the name of the couple, but we reported on a couple that they did that to. Oh, yeah, 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 I remember that. I think the wife, uh, the husband maybe fell and um, broke his hip or something, and he was admitted to the hospital. And the wife was spending the night in the lounge, whatever you want to call it, the waiting room, you know. And so when they saw her there, they said she wasn't eating properly and things like that. So then the state got involved, I believe, you know, um, that is supposed to so-called look out for the elderly, which they don't do anything of the sort. And they ended up taking their home and... I think they put them both in a nursing home, and they they were, like, starving them and all kind of craziness and taking, you know, they took their home and all their assets away and trying to murder them. So it, it's just terrible. Yeah, well, it is. It goes on all the time, like you say. You know, you know it's been going on for years. But then again, you know what? America deserves it because everybody sat around you know, the middle-aged people, my age and lower, uh, you know, that sat there and put grandma and grandpa away in the nursing home rather than have them stay at their house because, ah, we don't want those deadbeats around here. They're going to interfere with our fun life and all our money we're making and all this. So put grandma away in the uh, nursing home. And, you know, I'm too damn busy making money anyway, and so I'm going to take my kids and put them in daycare, put them in preschool, and put them all there. Well, hey, it started with the young Oh, we got to take care of the children. We have to watch out for the children. So now children are being stolen from their parents, vaccinated and drugged. Old people are being drugged, locked up, and their assets taken from them because the, the, the working age people sat around too busy, too greedy to take care of their family. And now we're getting back to what I've said. If you allow the state to mistreat anybody, they will start mistreating everybody. And you, you greedy suckers out there that let this happen, that got your kids in preschool and got your kids at, you know, daycare because you're either too busy or too, you know, whatever your excuse is. You shouldn't have had kids if you're too busy to have them. And, and it's a, just a disgrace that people let this happen to their parents, you know, because it's like, you know, unless you're, hey, I get it, unless you're estranged and you didn't get along and all that, and that happens. But, hey, most of these people that put their mom and dad in nursing homes actually get along with them, you know, and it's just, it's terrible. It's terrible, and it's the love of money, and, hey, guess what? It's okay, because you're next. They're coming for you next. See, now they've taken away children, they've taken away the old people, and now the only one left is you. Now, oh, uh, you know, you uh, you eat too much salt, and you don't uh, eat enough of this, and you don't do that. So we're going to give you a guardian. And uh, in order to make sure you do what's right, we're going to have to seize all your assets and everything you own so we can afford to take care of you. That's coming, folks. It's on the way, if it isn't already here. But what is here is a break time, so we're going to take a break. We'll be back in a bit. 
people realize their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. ABR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water. Countries have denied Internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be depended on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU-band free-to-air satellite system from AVR. The AVR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for $149. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System. shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific.
keep it high. Get down to whiskey. When there's trouble all around, get down to whiskey. When what you need cannot be found, just leave it all up to whiskey to wash your Report. I'm your host, Francis Stephan. You're listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. It is still Wednesday, March 2nd, 2016, about 844 and a half. Out here on the Pacific Time Coast, 800-932-1980, theamericanvoice.com or americanvoiceradio.com. Look for the chat link or contact me directly through Yahoo Instant Messenger, AVRN Talk is the screen name. All right, like I said, it's Wednesday. That means we've got Melissa Roxanne on as co-host, who hosts her own show on Monday evenings live, Friday evenings it's replayed. Welcome back, Melissa. Thank you. I want to hear a little more enthusiasm in that. that. Thank you. There you you go. That's a little more like it. (laughs) Anyway. Yeah, whiskey. You got some? No, I you don't. Just sadly. drink all our troubles away. Sadly, I don't. Uh, but then again, it That's is the, the middle answer. Of the uh, okay, here's something here that is important and it's going to affect everybody. Some real costs of the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Nearly half a million jobs lost in the U.S. alone. Now that sounds pretty bad, right? Half a million—that's five hundred thousand jobs. That sounds pretty bad, right? Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? I'm China, trying to do the math per state. China just announced, okay? Guess how many people they just laid off in China? I read about that, but I don't remember. 1.8 million it people are going to lose their jobs. It huh? said something like state workers, I thought. Uh, Chinese officials announced plans to lay off roughly 1.8 million workers in the coal and steel industries. Well, federal workers, whatever, Chinese. 
Look, government workers. We're talking about China, everything. Yeah, I know. Government, it's all right? <laughs> Unless you're selling dope on the side of the street, and that might even be government for all I know. <laughs> you know, it is here. Certainly is in the United States. I mean, you know, that's who sells all the all the heroin here is, uh, you know, the U.S. government. Yeah. Just like they used to sell a lot of the cocaine. The CIA brings it. They used to sell uh, cocaine, but, you know, with the economy being in the dumpster like it is, people just can't afford that good cocaine anymore, so they got to get that cheap heroin. Yeah, or so... Or that crack cocaine. Ah, that's passe. See, nobody, li- nobody likes that anymore. Anyway, the Trans-Pacific Partnership Agreement, recently agreed to by 12 Pacific Rim countries led by the Obama administration, promises to ease many restrictions on cross-border transaction and Get this, harmonized regulations. And that doesn't mean the rest of the you know, Pacific Rim is going to start you know, abiding by what regulations we have here in the United States. Proponents of the agreement have claimed significant economic benefits, citing modest overall net GDP gains ranging from half to 1% in the United States to 13% in Vietnam after 15 years. You know, who the hell cares what happens in Vietnam? Why is our country concerned with the well-being of the Pacific Rim nations? Look, I don't wish these people any ill will, but I don't really care about them either. I mean, look, their economy is their own problem. Their trade is their own problem. We got, you know, our politicians are supposed to be worrying about us, not them. This is see. This they is, are worrying about us. How this, they can kill us and take everything away from us and this, give it to those that don't deserve it. See, this is the real issue of this election, and this is the real issue why the establishment really, really, really hates Donald Trump. It isn't because he's a racist or he's a this or he's a that or whatever else. It's because they're globalists and he is a nationalist. Okay. That's really what it's all about. That is why they hate him so much, because if he becomes president, they are at risk of having their global little wet dream unraveled right in front of them, because a president can unravel that. Now, a president can't do a, you know, a lot of things, right? And a president's not supposed to do a lot of things he does do. But if he did the stuff he claims he's going to do, they would just assassinate him. And I don't think he'll ever be president. Well, you know, the thing is, there's something else to keep in mind. Is that, okay, yeah, we could see that and say, well, you know, you do this and they'll just kill you. You do that and they'll just kill you. You just, just, and they'll just kill you. They might wake up on the wrong side of bed and they might just kill you. Well, okay, and in our, you know, worldly existence we can see that as that makes sense but see that's not the only thing going on they won't kill anybody that god don't want killed and people say well by golly are you so what are you saying are you saying god likes donald trump no you need to read your bible folks god has many 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 times throughout the bible used ungodly people evil people, rotten people, to do his will. God's no respecter of people, okay? He'll use whoever he wants to use, and he'll do what he pleases. See, atheists don't want to believe that. It almost seems to me like he's just 
putting on a show. I mean, I really believe he is. You well, know, he is putting on a show. Along with all I mean, the other no... <laughs> actors up there running, okay? They know who's going to be there. It's probably going to be Usurper, but, you know, it's just a big show. And then this whole thing with David Duke, and now I don't have it right in front of me, but I read that Trump's son, like Donald Jr. or whatever his name is, appeared on some, like, big-time you know, we need to have white babies, whatever you want to call them. They're, you know, they're labeling him as a white supremacist, right? Okay. Okay, that he appeared on his radio show and all this stuff. It's like they're going along with this kind of, you know, like if his son really did appear on the show and they claim, well, his son says he didn't think he was on a show. Like, <laughs> so I don't know what the real story is, but they claim that they didn't, like, check out his background this well, and that. Well, who cares anyway? So, but it's like, why would he go on a show without vetting him first? Why wouldn't you? Without vetting him first. You know what? These Unless you're going to, you know along what? with the you plan know, to try what? to take Trump down. You know what? His kid needs to take a page out of his dad's book and just say, so what? Look, have you seen these numbers? Let's talk facts, folks. Let's look at these facts. Let's look at the white birth rate. Okay, let's do that for a minute. Oh, gee, look, Europe's going to be gone. The United States is going to be gone. Mm -hmm. We are not having enough white babies, or the oh, white I agree with that. will be off the I agree planet. with that. Is that what everybody wants? Is that, is but that, the is problem that is they're brainwashed to just look at you as this Nazi white supremacist type. Well, and if you stand there like a deer in the headlights and going, I don't think it was on his show. I don't know what I mean. I don't remember. Yeah. You know, screw that. You go on a show and you say, oh, Oh, is is there something wrong with whites having babies? Because you see, the statistics say that the white race will die out completely. Mm -hmm. Is that okay with you? I mean, is that something you want? Because you know what? To me, when you want a whole race to die out, that sounds racist but to me. But if he did that, boy, Donald and his son would be labeled as Hitler Do you know on what? steroids. They're already labeled Hitler on steroids by the media. The American people believe what I just said. Okay? They do? Yes, they do. They, they just, do? Uh, they're just too scared to say anything because we live well, in a nation of cowards. People that listen to AVR may believe it, but I don't think the mindless masses do. Okay, so what do you think the mindless masses, do you think they even know about the studies that the white race No, I don't out? think they know. No, so what if somebody told them? And said, hey, look here at the statistics, a study, study by so-and-so, another study by such-and-such, -such, another study by so-and-so. So, -and -so. so uh, is that what you want? Are you some kind of racist? Are you trying to commit genocide on a whole race? Is that what you're saying? So what, tell me, is wrong with white people having babies? I mean, here we have the NAACP. Uh, well, that's okay. Well, that wouldn't be politically correct in today's world, would it now? What? You know what? Do you think Donald Trump has been politically correct so far? Um, you know, I think he's saying a lot of things that people want to hear a politician say that could possibly become the president of the United States. But I don't think he ever will. You know, I think he's just going along with the game, the program. Well, everything honestly. you say depends on you being right and Obama not leaving office, okay? And you know, Or what? leaving office and becoming Secretary of the U.N. Oh, and we just won't have a president? Is that it? We'll no. just say, oh, Obama no, came but I think we don't he need is a president going anymore. to try to take over the world. And, and we'll so, okay, so who's going to be president then? I guess somebody that will, will go along with what he says. And who would that be?
And is he going to pick the president? Oh, I'm chief of the UN now, so I get to pick the president. You don't need an election. Is that you know? You're getting okay. more and more we'll far fetched with your ideas about this. <laughs> we'll Melissa. see. You know, I'm willing happens. to say, okay, maybe there's a crisis, and maybe something happens, and, and you know, I, I have no doubt it'd be a false flag. And or maybe Obama hey, he doesn't could leave. stay and then become president of the UN too. Okay, so I mean. Either way, he's going to take over, he, and I do believe he's going to It's a good thing you're not running for president, because they'd have you wrapped up in tin foil. I'll tell you. Well, I'm sure they probably will try to commit me, try to you know brainwash me, whatever, whatever, and, and label me as everything under the sun one day. Just because if you can oh, dream up me, I, you know, horrible things to happen doesn't mean that they're even viable, okay? This whole okay. thing about Obama's going to do this and he's going to do that and he's the this and he's the that and okay, look, okay. I'm willing to go. Well, as I'm going to do some shows on it and we'll see Good. what Not other on my people show you won't. But you know what they the think is, after they hear the I, evidence. I can go along with look. They could fake a crisis and say, "Oh, we have to suspend the elections." I can buy that that far. I really can. I could see that happening. I don't. Well, put that let's see. Um, to, did it look, I mean, they presented him as the Messiah. They put halos around his head. I mean, everything that the Bible talks about, it seems like, you know, Obama was just put in place, you know, to become the Antichrist. And they wiped out his past. I mean, he was getting down in the back of a limo and a hotel room with Larry Sinclair smoking crack cocaine and having sex with a guy. The Bible does say that it will be a gay person. That's the Antichrist, that Satan inhabits his body. And look at Usurper. Is he not that way? Yes, he is. All sides point to yes. And his wife is probably a man, too. But anyway, there's a whole lot more where that came from, about the rising sun and his campaign logo and, and just his birth certificate. Everything about the guy, he's a total criminal. And yeah, I believe he is evil. All the way. And Satan could easily inhabit him, and he could be the Antichrist. I'm not saying Satan has inhabited him yet. I don't believe he has, but I think he's going to. Hmm. Well, you know what? Get the screen, you know, the screenplay ready and uh, submit it to Hollyweird. I'm sure they'd love to have a new idea, uh, but, you know, that's about how much credence I give that. But then again, hey, you know, if you're right, then I'll admit I'm wrong, but... Uh, hmm. Sorry, I don't see it happening. I mean, I yeah. could see I could see them saying, okay, we can't have any elections. And I could even see at this point the Republican Party going along with it because yeah. they, they do not want Trump. I mean, they've okay, they've got these guys here. Where is this? Where is this? Where is this? Where is this? Oh, hey. Oh, and by the way, if you were thinking about going to the uh, Republican debate coming up in Michigan, forget about it. All those tickets are spoken for. Guess who gets most of them? Elected officials. And guess who they give them to? The lobbyists. Get it? See, Trump's not lying when he gets up there and says, hey, this crowd's full of lobbyists. He probably recognizes half of them. All right? I mean, this guy, he hires lobbyists, okay? He's a big businessman. He hires scum like this to do his bidding in Congress. And, you know, hey, remember that check you got from the Donald? Oh, yeah, yeah, come on in. That's how it works, and Trump told everybody that's how it works. That's why he gives to whoever. It doesn't matter what party you're in. I mean, <laughs> that's what 
Buffett does. It's what Soros does. It's what all of the billionaires do. They buy everybody, okay? Now, let's see here. Uh, 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 oh, yes, neocons. Right here. They got all these neocons here, top Republican uh, people, saying that they vote for Hillary Clinton. Uh, let's see, who is this? Foreign relations, uh, here we go. Uh, Max Boot, military historian at the Council of Foreign Relations, right? I'm literally losing sleep over Donald Trump. He said she would be vastly preferable to Trump. They're going to vote for Hillary Clinton rather than the Republican candidate, if Trump's it. That's what these people are. That's what a neocon is. A neocon is not a new conservative. A neocon is a globalist. Hillary Clinton is a globalist. The one thing that everybody in both parties have is they're all globalists. Bernie Sanders is a globalist. Ted Cruz, Marco Rubio, Kasich, and even Carson, all globalists. That's the real defining point between who's who in this, is who's a globalist and who's a nationalist. And they like to give national, oh, you're a nationalist, that's a dirty name, you're a Hitler. Oh, nah, he was a nationalist, so you must be a Hitler, because you're a nationalist too. Well, uh, let's see. We're electing the president of the United States of America. Don't you think we don't we want a nationalist? You know, somebody who will stand up for our nation, the nation that he's the president for, or we want him working for some other country. Because that's what's going to happen. That's what's always happened. That's what's been happening. I mean, look at this look at this thing with uh, the TTP. What do you think that is? That's globalism. Oh, sure, they're doing it by region, but it's still globalism, and that's the real difference. It ain't about abortion. It ain't about religion. It ain't about any of that. It's about nationalism versus globalism. That's really the difference. And, and Trump's popularity speaks to Americans' idea that, hey, you know what? We don't mind the rest of the world, but uh, this globalism crap has damaged us, has damaged this nation, and is injuring its people. It's lining up, just like the Bible says it's going to. Well, and what is globalism biblically? It's the Tower of Babel. God is not for that. God is not a globalist. We are out of time. Thanks for being on, Melissa. Thank you. Folks, thanks for listening. I'll be back again tomorrow. We got good stuff coming up. So stay tuned. I heard it through the grapevine. My new neighbor don't like my big red barn. A 47 Ford bullet holes in the door broke down motor in the front yard. <laughs> I gotta have a mind to paint a plywood sign and nail it up on a knotty pine tree. Saying I was here first, this is my piece of dirt, and your rambling don't rattle me.
Vitamin E prevents internal blood clots, but not all vitamin E is equal. Would you like to get a vitamin E that makes blood flow more smoothly than Plavix, but with no harmful side effects? Four Spectrum Natural Unesterified Vitamin E Complex has been called WD-40 for your blood. It actually lubricates the blood while it dissolves plaque. It prevents platelet aggregation and internal clotting. It neutralizes smoke, fumes, waste, and other harmful free radicals. Doctors report relief from angina, painful leg cramps, strokes, fibrocystic breast tumors, circulation problems, and much more. Get one bottle for $35 postpaid, two bottles for only $60 postpaid. Restore this vital nutrient removed from your food supply through food processing. Read more at 4spectrum.us, spelled number 4spectrum.us. Call 800-581-8906. That's 800-581-8906. Order today. What are actually in those shots you've been told are necessary to ward off scary diseases and your child must have in order to register for school? Mercury, formaldehyde, aluminum, and viruses cultured in diseased tissue of both animal and human origin are among the ingredients listed in vaccine package inserts. Make the only informed choice. Keep shots away from yourself and your children. Go to vaccinetruth.com or call 888-249-1421. It looks beautiful from the outside, but when you peel off the mask and talk to the victims, you uncover another part of the story. The documented evidence you are about to see may seem unbelievable, but it's all true. When they took my family, there wasn't anything else to live for. I tried to kill myself. Thank God I didn't succeed. I think the most difficult part of this for me is that they have turned my own beautiful children against me. You know, the brainwashing techniques of this organization are really incredibly effective. On behalf of a growing number of victims, Ed Decker, together with Dick Baer, themselves victims of this powerful organization, consulted with a Los Angeles-based law firm about filing a class action lawsuit. Mr. Baer, Mr. Decker, just what are we dealing with here? We're dealing with a massive organization, a multi-billion dollar corporation whose wealth is, is, is worldwide and whose influence is staggering. I've got records of of many, many homes that have been shattered by these people. I consider it to be one of the most deceptive and most dangerous groups in the entire world. I have documentation that ties it into the occult, into Satanism. Mr. Decker, I I don't doubt your sincerity, but I find this very hard to believe. I mean, these people pride themselves in a sense of family togetherness and a very conspicuous form of uh, moral rectitude. That's part of the incredible deception. And that's what we have to dig into, and we need, we need to expose it. We need to open it up to the truth. Salt Lake City, Utah. Mecca of Mormonism. One of the wealthiest and fastest growing religions with over five million members worldwide. world, the Mormon church presents a carefully groomed Osman family image. 
With an emphasis on family togetherness, an inspiring history and high moral standards, the Mormon Church, also known as the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, or LDS, turns out tens of thousands of missionaries a year whose goals are to spread Mormonism around the world. Most of them are trained here at Brigham Young University, also known as BYU. To most of us, Mormons appear to be real Christians who live their faith. Dr. Harold Goodman, BYU professor, former Mormon bishop, currently an LDS mission president. Well, the church encourages the family to be as self-sustaining as possible in their activities, starting with the family home evening, where the father, who is the patriarch of the family, would gather his family together. There they would have a prayer, an opening song or two. I looked out the window and what did I see? We are very much a family-centered church because we believe that strong families make for a strong nation, and strong nations make for a strong world. The Mormon church has had a phenomenal growth. In the next 50 years, it will be approximated about 70 million people to 100 million people. There are many reasons why this is so. One is the vast uh, missionary program we have over the world. Approximately right now, 28,000 missionaries and 186 missions. Thousands of early church members were recruited from Britain and brought over to supplement the church in America during the 1830s. Mr. Brian Grant is the director of public relations for the Mormon Church in Great Britain and Ireland, where membership has increased a thousand percent in the last 20 years. I suppose everybody's idea of a Mormon missionary are those two dark young men who sort of ride around the town on bikes and knock on your door at uh, inopportune times. In actual fact, we have an increasing number of young women serving in the missionary field and also quite a lot of um, retired couples free of family responsibilities who feel that they too want to share the, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So many people have joined the church, I believe, because of the... Uh, gospel principles that it gives uh, understanding and enlightenment of who they are, uh, who they were, and what they may become. Jim and I came from very strong Christian families. We were introduced to Mormonism through a business partner of Jim's. I had always had this preconceived idea that a Mormon was somebody who went around dressed in black and had 16 wives, which was not true, of course. These people seem to be Christian. Any people that I had ever been around that were Christian, they had these, the same attributes. Just kind, good, loving people, family-oriented. All the things they did revolved around their religion. People in the Mormon church, they were all so friendly. And they took me in by dances and all the different kids at school. They were all pushing me on saying, I'm so glad you're going to join the Mormon church. They got me into the church through the social program, which is fabulous and the family atmosphere, which was mine was broken up, therefore I went right to it. The youth uh, certainly uh, are the strength of the church in the future. Consequently, uh, we hold classes for the youth in on Sunday. We have athletic events for our youth. We have socials where they would have fun games, uh, dances. Many of the 
social events as well as regular church services are held in the chapels which are being built at a rate of two per day around the world. However, the few dozen Mormon temples serve a completely different purpose. No church services are held here. Only secret ceremonies which are reserved for an elite few. The goal of every Latter-day Saint is to be married as a family unit in the house of the Lord. And there receive these sacred blessings that will allow us to eventually, if we're worthy, to dwell and be in the presence of our Heavenly Father. You know, not all members of the church uh, go to the temple. That may be something that would surprise you, but to gain admittance to a temple, one has to have what's called a temple recommend. He has to receive a satisfactory interview from his bishop and from his stake president. There he's asked, or she has asked, certain rather penetrating questions about their worthiness, their morality. If he's a full-tithe peer, that is the only way that we can be with our Heavenly Father. Otherwise, uh, we could not be in his presence. By going through the temple and by adhering to various regulations, such as abstaining from tea or coffee, paying a substantial portion of your income to the Mormon church, and giving free labor to various church-run organizations, the worthy Mormon can become a god himself in the life hereafter, ruling over his own planet with a number of goddess wives. So you can see why the temple is so important to the Latter-day Saint. Because if he is worthy to go unto the temple and there receive the sacred ordinances and covenants and keep them, he can eventually grow into becoming a god himself. Before this newly completed temple in Seattle was closed to all but a select group of Mormons, visitors were given the opportunity to get a glimpse inside. For many of these Mormons who came from thousands of miles away and stood for hours in the rain, this may be the only time they will ever be allowed to enter a Mormon temple. Tell me who God the Father is to you. He is like you and I, every human being on the face of the earth. So is he a man? Yes, he is. How did he get to be God? The, the Mormon gods and goddesses, as Joseph Smith taught, were once upon a time just mere human, just like us. And they worked their way up to becoming gods. There's supposed to be billions of these highly evolved humanoids somewhere out in space overseeing their own planet. This sounds like science fiction or Greek mythology. Uh, would you say that the average Mormon uh, believes these things? Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Floyd C. McAlvin, author of the bestseller, the Mormon illusion. They believe that God eternally progressed, that once he was a man and then he became God. From that comes their doctrine that all can progress, progress to be God. For instance, uh, in Articles of Faith, they have this by Talmadge, that as man is, God once was. As God is, man may become. So their whole doctrine flows from this about becoming God. Gods and goddesses just won't fly in the jury room. Gentlemen, a jury uh, feel a responsibility to be skeptical. You need to feed them information that, that has a taste of truth to it. And what you're telling us, I really don't think they're going to swallow it, do you? I did for 19 years. Again, you have to understand the peculiar belief evolving around the Mormon temple marriage. 
they believe that their godhood is tied to to eternal exaltation through the marriage and through the family unit. The Mormon Church teaches that in order for me to become a goddess, I needed to marry a Mormon man in good standing with the church. And without a husband that could take me through the temple, I wouldn't be able to go to heaven and be with my heavenly father. According to Mormon theology, husbands and wives who have successfully achieved godhood will be required to populate their own planet by procreating as many spirit children as possible. Ever since I was a little girl, I was taught that my primary purpose was to become a goddess in heaven so that I could multiply and earth. And I wanted that. I wanted to be eternally pregnant and look down on an earth and say, that's mine. And I populated that whole earth and all those little babies. I had. And to tell you the truth, I find it extremely difficult to believe that the Mormon attorneys and judges I know actually expect to become infinite gods, peopling new worlds and, and engaging in celestial sex with their goddess wives. <laughs> Why don't you ask them? Uh, well, I would be uh, embarrassed, uh, to be honest with you. And uh, if it's true, as you've suggested, that these uh, people do plan to reproduce themselves across the universe, well, I'd rather not know about it. Uh, we do business with these gentlemen. That's why it's such a secret. That's why even the Mormons don't talk about it. They're embarrassed by it, too. Look, Mormonism is based upon the belief that extraterrestrial humanoids from a star in a distant place called Kolob visited this Earth came down to this earth and visited a young boy, 14-year-old boy by the name of Joseph Smith. We had a little animation done to show the difference between Mormonism and Christianity because Mormonism is so far removed from Orthodox Christianity. I'd like to show it to you for a moment, if you don't mind. Mormonism teaches that trillions of planets scattered throughout the cosmos are ruled by countless gods who once were human like us. They say that long ago on one of these planets, to an unidentified god and one of his goddess wives, a spirit child named Elohim was conceived. This spirit child was later born to human parents who gave him a physical body. Obedience to Mormon teaching and death and resurrection, he proved himself worthy and was elevated to godhood as his father before him. Mormons believe that Elohim is their heavenly father and that he lives with his many goddess wives on a planet near a mysterious star called Korah. Here the god of Mormonism and his wives through endless celestial sex produced billions of spirit children to decide their destiny, the head of the Mormon gods called a great heavenly council meeting. Both of Elohim's eldest sons were there, Lucifer and his brother Jesus. A plan was presented to build planet Earth, where the spirit children would be sent to take on mortal bodies and learn good from evil. Lucifer stood and made his bid for becoming savior of this new world. Wanting the glory for himself, he planned to force everyone to become gods. Opposing the idea, the Mormon Jesus suggested giving man his freedom of choice, as on other planets. 
The vote that followed approved the proposal of the Mormon Jesus who would become savior of the planet Earth. Enraged, Lucifer cunningly convinced one-third of the spirits destined for Earth to fight with him in revolt. Thus, Lucifer became the devil and his followers the demons. Sent to this world, they would forever be denied bodies of flesh and bone. Those who remained neutral in the battle were cursed to be born with black skin. This is the Mormon explanation for the Negro race. The spirits that fought most valiantly against Lucifer would be born into Mormon families on planet Earth. These would be the lighter-skinned people, or white and delightsome, as the Book of Mormon describes them. Early Mormon prophets taught that Elohim and one of his goddess wives came to Earth as Adam and Eve to start the human race. Thousands of years later, Elohim, in human form once again, journeyed to Earth from the starbase Kolob, this time to have sex with the Virgin Mary, in order to provide Jesus with a physical body. Mormon apostle Orson Pratt taught that after Jesus Christ grew to manhood, he took at least three wives, Mary, Martha, and Mary Magdalene. Through these wives, the Mormon Jesus, for whom Joseph Smith claimed direct descent, supposedly fathered a number of children before he was crucified. According to the Book of Mormon, after his resurrection, Jesus came to the Americas to preach to the Indians, who the Mormons believe are really Israelites. Thus, the Jesus of Mormonism established his church in the Americas as he had in Palestine. Indian Israelites, known as Lamanites, had destroyed all of the white Nephites in a number of great battles. The Nephites' records were supposedly written on golden plates and buried by Moroni, the last living Nephite in the hill Cumorah. Fourteen hundred years later, a young treasure seeker named Joseph Smith, who was known for his tall tales, claimed to have uncovered these same gold plates near his home in upstate New York. He is now honored by Mormons as a prophet because he claimed to have had visions from the spirit world in which he was commanded to organize the Mormon church because all Christian creeds were an abomination. It was Joseph Smith who originated most of these peculiar doctrines which millions today believe to be true. By maintaining a rigid code of financial and moral requirements and through performing secret temple rituals for themselves and the dead, the Latter-day Saints hope to prove their worthiness and thus become gods. The Mormons teach that everyone must stand at the final judgment before Joseph Smith, the Mormon Jesus, and Elohim. Those Mormons
Mormons who were sealed in the eternal marriage ceremony expect to become polygamous gods in the celestial kingdom, rule over other planets, and spawn new families throughout eternity. The Mormons thank God for Joseph Smith, who claimed that he had done more for us than any other man, including Jesus Christ. The Mormons believe that he died as a martyr, shed his blood for us, so that we too may become gods. Space gods from Koloff. Sounds like Von Deineken or... Battlestar Galactica, but we know it's bizarre. I know as a finite being, I can never become an infinite God. It's a logical absurdity. That's when I stopped believing it, but I couldn't get my wife to even talk about it. She had to divorce me and find uh, another man that was working his way to Godhood, or she could not become a God. Are you saying that the Mormon Church pressures individuals into divorcing their spouses when they're not measuring up to the church's standards and also pressures them into marrying another spouse who is working for this godhood? There's no doubt my motivation in all of this stems partly from my own personal experiences. I look back on my own life seeing a bishop counsel me to divorce my wife, uh, seeing my five children whom I raised in the Mormon church pulled from me, and spending all these years just trying to reestablish those relationships. I know literally hundreds of families whose stories like this could, could break your heart. Greg and Jolene, divorced because of the Mormon church and have now remarried. He was raised Christian and I was raised Mormon. We just had a very beautiful relationship, but it always came back to the Mormonism. I had to convert him in some way. And after two and a half years of really trying hard, I just couldn't do it and I was advised to divorce him. Well, it became obvious to the church leaders that my husband was not going to go along with the church standards of the word of wisdom and had no desire to be active in the priesthood. And so they thought that it was perfectly fine and accessible and encouraged me to divorce my husband. The second visit to the counselor, he went over our the things that we had told him and he said well there are just some people that shouldn't be married I couldn't imagine a bishop uh, actively counseling for divorce his job is to seek for ways in which the, the marriage partners can be reconciled and yet in my case my wife was advised by the bishop it would be best to, to, for her to divorce me there will be situations where for reasons of incom incompatibility of one form or another uh, a divorce will become inevitable but uh, because we have such a firm belief in the, in the family unit and the, the sanctity of family life, it's, uh, it really would be the end of the road and not something that was ever entered into in terms of, uh, of a convenience. I went to my bishop and he advised me that it would be better for me to live without him and to be a servant in Mormon heaven than to stay married to him. And here is a church that teaches family unity and they destroyed my marriage. Gentlemen, this isn't helping your case. Uh, these people have the religious freedom to believe anything they want to. But why should they have the freedom to break up families and destroy lives? The pressure on the Mormon women is incredible. They must be perfect. They swear a, an oath of, of total obedience to the, to the husband in the Mormon temple. There's a whole area of psychiatric care dealing with the depression 
in the Mormon woman. I have a friend who is a nurse in the psychiatric ward, and she came to me and asked, why is it that there's so many Mormon women in my wing? What, what's the trouble? And I believe that it's simply because it is an impossibility to live up to the standards that are put upon these Mormon women. They must be perfect so that they can go to exaltation with their husbands. They don't even get out of the grave unless the husband calls them forth on the morning of the first resurrection. And if you do make it to celestial exaltation, heaven to the Mormon woman is being pregnant for all eternity. Uh, one spirit baby after the next. It came a point in my life as a Mormon woman that things were not going right at all. My whole time was spent in doing what the Mormon leaders had told me to do. In fact, I came to the point where I felt like life just wasn't worth living anymore. Sandra Tanner, ex-Mormon, author, researcher, considered to be one of the greatest living authorities on Mormonism. Utah has a higher than the national average rate of divorce. It has higher than the national average rate of suicide, especially teen suicide. It's much higher in Utah than it is nationally. This is partly due to the fact that Mormons emphasize perfection. And so many of these young people feel defeated in their striving for godhood. They can't measure up to everything the church is asking of them. And it just so demolishes their self-esteem that they can't go on, and so then they take their life. I always felt like I wasn't, uh, I wasn't doing good enough uh, in the eyes of God. I couldn't ask for a better brother than Kip. Gene and Perry Eliason, father and brother of young Kip, who committed suicide early in 1982 at the age of 16. Kip was almost the perfect son. He was a four-point student, Capital High School. He was involved with a track team where he got the most inspirational track team member. Kip was my best friend and partner since his mother passed away when he was five years old. The last two years, Kip was busy with his other activities with the church that most of our outside activities came to a halt. The more deeply Kip got involved with the church, uh, the more depressed he became. So I sat down with Kip and would discuss this problem with him and uh, to find out what was bothering him. At that point, he told me that uh, he had fittings, uh, sexual fittings that were in direct conflict with the teachings of the church. When Kip went to the LDS counselors, they only reinforced the teachings of the church, which just increased Kip's fittings of unworthiness. I know what Kip was going through. I went to the same type of interviews that he did. The pressure was great to strive for worthiness to be perfect all the time. The only problem is Kip took it a little too seriously. The Mormon Church, with its beautiful ads in the Reader's Digest, would like us to believe that it's Christian through and through. Yet, what the outsider sees is not what the insider sees. And in the Mormon Church, the, uh, the Book of Mormon itself calls the Christian body the Whore of Babylon. The temple ceremony mocks the Christian pastor, calls him a hireling of Satan. Once I got into the church, I was asking questions, and it wasn't the same. It wasn't Christian, as they had told my mom and myself. It just wasn't right. Anyone that believes in Christ is a Christian. And we believe that we are Christians uh, above all other denominations because we have so much revealed information about our Redeemer, our Savior, Jesus the Christ. 
Mormons are instructed to use Christian terminology when talking to potential converts. Words such as God, Jesus, and salvation all have different Mormon meanings, which the outsider may not be aware of. Uh, do you consider Mormonism Christianity? Yes, I do. We believe in God, the Eternal Father, and in the Son, Jesus Christ, and in the Holy Ghost. There are so many that have part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We think the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has all of the gospel in its total fullness. Joseph Smith's first vision is the cornerstone of the Mormon church, and yet there are nine versions, each of which contradicts the other. Mormon leaders are deliberately keeping from you the true history of their religion, because they know you will have a hard time believing it's from God if you saw how it really was all put together. In the unpublished accounts, we find that Joseph Smith first said it was just Jesus that appeared to him. The second time he wrote a story down, a few years later, he says, Many angels appeared to him. Then some years later, he says that two beings appeared. He changes the date. He changes how old he is. He changes the motivation, why he went into the woods to pray. He changes who was there, and he changes what the message was that they gave him. So if he were uh, giving us an actual account of a real experience, we would assume he would have known the first time around whether it was God or Jesus, if it was both of them, what their message was, and when it happened. Yet we find him redrafting this story. Well, if you were a witness of an accident and someone asked you to tell about it, if you gave three accounts as divergent as those three are, people would say you couldn't have witnessed the event. The Mormon Church keeps changing its scriptures. The, the changes are incredible. There's so many thousands of them. Recently, they canonized the 137th section of the Doctrine and Covenants. When I read this for the first time, I recognized that they omitted over 200 words of the actual revelation as written by Joseph Smith. Why did the church omit the 200 words? Because they contain three blatantly false revelations, prophecies of Joseph Smith. You know, Joseph Smith said the moon was inhabited with people dressed like Quakers and living to be a, a, about a thousand years of age. And Brigham Young seconded it when he said that the moon not only was inhabited, but the sun was inhabited. I believe some of the strongest anti-Mormon literature, if you want to call it that, is the actual publications of the Mormon Church. If I believed that Joseph Smith and Brigham Young were prophets of the living God, I'd have to be a polygamist. The true doctrine teaches that there is no eternal life without a polygamous relationship. Thelma Gear, author, lecturer, outspoken ex-Mormon, and great-granddaughter of convicted Mormon assassin John D. Lee. Sitting here by this fireplace, I'm reminded of my great-grandfather John D. Lee, who was a Mormon pioneer, a bodyguard for Joseph Smith and Brigham Young as they visited secretly their numerous polygamous wives. I'm reminded that my great-grandfather had 19 wives and 64 children. Emma Smith, Joseph's wife, uh, is admonished in this same Doctrine and Covenants to uh, be obedient to the call and to accept these other wives of Joseph Smith or receive the, uh, the penalty thereof. This uh, diary tells how Joseph was sneaking around behind Emma's back to practice polygamy, how he had to promise Emma he would give up all his plural wives just for her, and yet he tells his friend that I had to tell Emma that, but I didn't really mean it. Today in Utah, there are approximately 25,000 polygamous marriages. 
These people are the fundamentalists who believe that Brigham Young was a prophet of God and, and that this section of the DNC is true and that they cannot take away this eternal covenant with God by some law of the land. The Mormon Church has deliberately hidden the records of its early church leaders, of the early documents, their early publications from their members. Ron Prittis, business manager of the Seventh East Press, a newspaper published by young Mormons seeking reform in the church through exposing Mormon cover-ups. Some of the items uh, that have brought the most uh, attention to the paper are uh, items of church history, theology, and some of the dishonesty on the part of some of the administrators in dealing with students. There are so many things in the church records. If they were open for public inspection, it would tarnish this beautiful image that the church puts out. The missionary comes to your door. We have a beautiful story to tell you about families, and they want to tell you what a glorious place this is to raise your children. Uh, the missionary isn't part of the cover-up. He doesn't know this. He has been told that everything will check out. It's all 100% true. He thinks the records are open. He doesn't even realize he couldn't go to Salt Lake and see these documents for himself. We're in the Christian uh, faith. We, we find our scholars looking for earlier manuscripts, always refining, always going back to the, to the earliest manuscripts to improve and, and, and validate the authenticity of the Holy Scripture. In Mormonism, it's completely the opposite. So leaders have to go back and rework, rewrite, cover up, change, delete, add. All the way through on uh, all of their books, their history, their scriptures, uh, they suppress their diaries because these things show the uh, confusion and the um, man-made nature of the theology and the religion. The Book of Mormon claims to be an actual historical record translated from real plates that Joseph Smith unearthed in a hill in New York. Now, if this is a genuine history, one would assume you could study this just like you would study any historical book. Dr. Charles Crane, author, college professor, expert on Mormon archaeology. As we look at the Book of Mormon, we find an entirely different story. Instead of being an actual record of actual fact, I have looked over maps, checked uh, archaeological information, and I still am left to wonder, where is the land of Zarahemla? Where is the Valley of Nimrod? Where are the plains of Nephaha? I have been unable to find a record of even one city as mentioned in the Book of Mormon. We turn to the Book of Mormon, we have nothing. There is no Nephite language, there are no Nephite cities. There is not a map in any Book of Mormon. You cannot locate any site. There is no evidence for the book, and yet it's supposed to be a historical record. Dr. Richard Fales, author lecturer, archaeologist. We have never excavated one single artifact that even remotely relates to this alleged civilization that the Mormons claim existed in the United States, Central America, and in South America. No archaeological evidence has been found to authenticate the vast American empire described in the Book of Mormon. And yet, archaeology has been able to prove the existence of all great civilizations, including those of biblical times. For instance, these coins mentioned in the Bible, the shekel, the dram, the widow's mite, have all been found in abundance. What do we find when we look at the Book of Mormon? In Alma, the 11th chapter, verses 5 through 19, is a listing of the coinage of the period of time that was used by these people. 
It lists the senine of gold, the sion of gold, the shum of gold. They had lesser coins, the shiblon, the shiblum, the leah. Need it be said at this point that not one of these coins has ever been found. Many people do not understand the Book of Mormon. Um, this is a history of the uh, people that inhabited the American continent, North, South, and Central America from about 600 B.C. till about 420 A.D. And we have uh, much evidence, of course, of people having lived uh, there. I am led to believe uh, from my research that this is not an actual story, but is a fairy tale, much like Alice in Wonderland. Decades of searching by Mormon archaeologists have failed to uncover one scrap of evidence regarding the people or the places or the events in the Book of Mormon. And Mormon missionaries throughout the world are converting people to the Mormon church by explaining to them that archaeology has proven the Book of Mormon to be true. One of the Mormon church's standard works of scripture is called the Pearl of Great Price. In this is the Book of Abraham that Joseph Smith claimed was translated from some papyrus fragments that he purchased from an Egyptologist traveling through the area. And by 1842, with no knowledge of the Egyptian language, he translated that into what is called the Book of Abraham. That manuscript disappeared until 1967. It has now resurfaced. Several famous Egyptologists have now looked at it, translated it, and have found that it doesn't have anything to do with the time of Abraham at all. Joseph Smith did not get right even one word in this whole translation. In fact, he took one little letter that looks like a backwards E and translated it in over, into over 76 words with seven names. Well, there are certain things that are embarrassing to the church. It never ceases to amaze me the number of intelligent people that are in the Mormon church that still accept things that cannot be substantiated. They get so locked in that they're afraid to even take another look. We've run into it many times where they have admitted that rather than sit down and study with us, they'll accept what their church leaders tell them. The Mormon church has a living prophet whose very words can override biblical scriptures or any previous Mormon writing. For example, Prophet Spencer W. Kimball, amidst increasing social pressure, recently had a divine revelation which enabled him to lift the curse off blacks who up until then had been considered by the Mormon church to be low in their habits, inferior in their looks, mischievous, treacherous, and generally deprived of intelligence. Prophet Brigham Young had previously stated that any Mormon marrying a Negro would be killed on the spot and that this sacred law must never change. I read in a Mormon publication uh, an article by the current prophet of the church where he described his power as the president of the church. And in it he was saying that he was basically the liaison between man and God. We believe that the most important prophet to us is the present prophet. So when he speaks as a prophet, we believe that it is as though the Lord was speaking. The finality of the Mormon theology is not based upon evaluation by scriptural evidence, but based entirely upon a burning in the bosom. The Mormon scriptures tell you that that's what you must seek. When the Mormon missionaries come to your home, they'll talk to you about the Book of Mormon, they'll talk about the prophet Joseph Smith, and when they're done, they'll ask you to pray about it and to seek that divine burning in the bosom that they have, and that this will prove to you that 
Joseph Smith is a prophet of God, that the Book of Mormon is really scripture. And so it becomes a subjective evaluation. Scripture is not to be tested. They would encourage us then to read the Book of Mormon. Uh, nothing in the Bible but to read the various sections of the Book of Mormon and to pray about it that we might know it was true. When we discuss these things with Mormons, some will say, I don't care if every prophecy of Joseph Smith is proven wrong. I have a burning in my bosom that I know that the church is true. I'll say, have you tested him? I'm not going to test him. I have that burning in my bosom. It's that total and complete trust in anything Mormon. authentic first-time ever on film reenactment of secret Mormon temple ceremonies that even most Mormons have never seen, and those who have, have sworn never to reveal these secrets under penalty of death. The execution of the penalty is represented by placing the right thumb under the left ear, drawing the thumb quickly across the throat to the right ear, and dropping the hand to the side. All of us who've been through the temple have sworn solemn oaths consenting to having our throat slit and our heart and our vitals throat torn out. The execution of the penalty is represented by drawing the thumb quickly across the body and dropping the hands to the side. In the Mormon temple marriage, the partners are sealed to each other for time and all eternity in mason-like rituals. And without this ceremony, no one can enter the presence of Joseph Smith and become a god. Pay, lay, Hail. Brother Pratt, having authority, I wash you preparatory to receiving your anointings for and in behalf of John Kimball, who is dead, that you may become clean from the blood and sins of this generation. Sister Bradford, I wash you preparatory to you receiving your anointings for and in behalf of Eliza Barrett. Eliza Barrett, who is dead, that you may become clean from the blood and sins of this generation. I wash your head, that your brain and intellect may become clear and active. Your eyes, that you may see clearly and discern between truth and error. Thousands of occultic ceremonies each day are performed for the dead, so that they too can receive the benefits of Mormonism. Mormons are encouraged to have encounters with the dead. And it's not uncommon for demons impersonating the dead to appear to Mormons stating that they've been converted to the Mormon church in the spirit world and now want their family history traced. Your loins, that you may be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth, that you may have joy in your posterity. Your vitals and bowels, that they may be strong and healthy and perform their proper function. Your breast, that it may be the receptacle of pure and virtuous principles. Our living prophet has told us there are three purposes of the church. One is to proclaim the gospel that we've talked about. The other is to perfect the lives of the saints. And the third is to redeem the dead. Consequently, we're actively engaged in doing research work of names and places of birth dates of our families as well as all other mortals that we possibly can. A unique characteristic which sets apart the Mormon church from all other major religions is its fanatical program to evangelize the dead and because of this, the Mormon church operates the largest genealogical center in the world, complete with a staff of over 600 who sort and catalog incoming census rolls, church registers, wills and deeds. This information is transferred to microfilm and stored here, 20 miles outside Salt Lake City.
I do the research, and then I take their names to the temple and have them baptized and have them sealed in the house of the Lord as family units. When a Mormon goes through the temple to receive his endowments, he's given a pair of this holy Mormon underwear, and he's instructed to wear it at all times. This garment is supposed to be all magical, all protective uh, piece of material that will keep you from harm if you are living the gospel of the Latter-day Saints. But I have to be frank with you, it's probably the most unattractive, uh, dehumanizing piece of material that could be worn. There are no statistics that prove that these temple garments have saved anybody from anything. Although Mormons circulate stories about how these garments, because of their magical power, have saved them from fiery deaths and, and all kinds of harm and accident. Or they go to the hospital and deliver babies and they refuse to have them taken off to the point of where a doctor has to cut them off in order to deliver a baby. After I'd help my grandmother to bathe and help her out of the tub, we would dry the left leg, put the clean garment on the, the left leg, and then and then only could she take off the garment from the right leg. The garment is supposed to be worn next to your skin and with your other undergarments on top of that as to protect your body. It's really just like wearing a rabbit's foot. It's a superstition. Joseph Smith was heavily involved in the occult. He kept a seer stone that he used uh, as a crystal ball to divine the location of hidden treasures and to translate the golden plates. In 1826, Joseph Smith was arrested and convicted for pretending to find buried treasure with that stone. These special markings in the temple garment make this a special amulet, which is called a talisman. Here in Anton LaVey's Satanic Bible, under the section called Infernal Names, I want to show you something. Here we have the god Mormo, who is king of the ghouls, god of the living dead. And those people that follow him are called Mormons. That's just the kind of conclusion that we can't jump to. It could be a coincidence. Except that Mormons are obsessed with genealogies and temple rites and rituals for the dead, whom they believe can visit the living and who can convert to Mormonism even in the grave. In Chinese, Mormon means gates of hell. That's why the Mormon missionaries have problems in Hong Kong, for instance. They have to avoid using the word Mormon in trying to convert the Chinese. Dr. John L. Smith, author and expert on the vast wealth of the Mormon Church. The Mormon Church is the second largest financial institution west of the Mississippi River. The Mormon Church wields economic power more effectively than any other organized religion in the world. They own the $2.6 billion Beneficial Life Insurance Company, the Deseret Management and Trust Corporation, hospitals, schools, apartment buildings, farms, they are a major stockholder in the L.A. Times. They own TV and radio stations, the ZCMI department store chain. They have vast land holdings with ownerships in all 50 American states, throughout Canada and Europe, and on every continent. Two-thirds of their properties are tax-exempt. Billions of dollars are extracted from church members each year through their mandatory tithing program. It's very difficult to tell what the Mormon church actually owns. Someone has said that even the president of the Mormon church may not know because they might have uh, bought something yesterday or sold something today. Mormons own 
own a substantial portion of Hawaii. They, they are one of the major financial institutions of this area. When you go to the Polynesian Culture Center, they offer you a tour over to their temple. And next to the Salt Lake Temple, the Hawaiian Temple receives the second largest number of visitors. They give you a film presentation of the Mormon Church and have you sign in. And then that name and address is forwarded to a missionary in the area that they're from. And soon after you return home from your visit to the temple in Hawaii, you will receive a knock from the Mormon missionary asking you how you enjoyed your visit to the temple and would you like to know more about the church. Using it as an, a way to get in, to share with people the doctrine of Mormonism. The Mormons have many other ways of recruiting members, through door-to-door -door missionaries, visitor centers, through the thousands of church-sponsored Boy Scout troops and educational institutions, and through the Mormon-controlled Marriott Hotel chain, which places Mormon literature in every room. And for all its talk of building an ideal society, Utah, which is 75% Mormon, leads the nation in bankruptcy and stock fraud, and ranks among the highest in divorce, suicide, child abuse, teenage pregnancy, venereal disease, and bigamy. There are many people in the Mormon church that are having trouble believing it. Many that are in it that don't really believe it at all. My son realized after about five or six months that he had made a mistake in joining the Mormon church. And one of the main things that made him realize that was the ridiculousness of the idea that the Mormons teach that you can become a god. I remember going to, in to talk to the bishop, oh, just shortly before I decided to leave the church. And I asked him, I said, Bishop, where is the love in this church? And I, I sat with tears running down my eyes, asking him, we're, I don't feel loved. We hear all of this thing, these things about love and how we're taking care of everybody and, and family home evening and all of these. But where is the love? Why don't I feel loved? And he just sat there looking at me like he didn't have a bit of feeling. Mormonism undercuts the Bible. It undercuts all the other churches so that the Mormon that starts to lose faith in Mormonism will usually feel there's nothing out there to look into. I, in fact, believe that if the Mormon church wasn't true, there was no true church. I had one of those burning testimonies of the Mormon church. When I was growing up, all through the years of, our, of my childhood, my sisters and my brother and I were all best of friends and had a beautiful relationship. Since I've come out of the Mormon church, my sisters and I have had no relationship at all. One of the rules in the Mormon church is that if you want to go to the temple, you can't associate with apostate member, and that's what they call me. After I left the church, things were the same. My friends, a lot of my friends wouldn't talk to me. Now, even though we had been, I had left the church of my own free will, because I knew it was no longer true, you are excommunicated in the Mormon church, and that excommunication is a, a dirty term. With a few rare exceptions, Almost all of our Mormon friends just really wanted to have nothing to do with us. I was totally alienated. My boyfriend that I'd had all the year I was at BYU just would have nothing to do with me. He was preparing for his mission, and he wouldn't talk to me. He just said flat out, you know, you're not going to the temple with me, so that's it. It was uh, my friends were told not to have anything to do with me. These two, two kids of ours were on campus at the local college, and they would bring some Mormon kids over to talk to me. and. Somebody there at the Institute told them we had been excommunicated for adultery. And that is the biggest lie there ever was. 
In Utah, it's very hard for someone to leave the church and make it public. There is, first of all, the threat for your job. You may have a Mormon employer, and this could seriously threaten your work position. Many of the people I see work for the church itself and are afraid of losing their position. Some are afraid of divorce. I know people in high positions that do not believe Mormonism. I've talked to a Mormon bishop that told me he didn't believe Mormonism at all. Recently, a Mormon family that we know, um, even the husband, began asking questions. He called one night and he said, I'm, I know what you're saying now is true. There's no doubt in my mind I can't punch any holes in it. But he said, I'm scared to death that I'm going to lose my wife and my children and my business because when I make this known, what I have discovered, I will lose it all. The motivation for many of them is that Mormonism is a nice place to raise your family. It's the easy road. If you're already here and you're already in it, then why upset things? The biggest danger was that they took me in and I was thinking it was a Christian church. And it wasn't a Christian church. It was a cult. Instead of going back to one of the standard works of the church, I went to the Bible. And I started reading and made up my mind I was going to go from cover to cover. And in the second chapter of Genesis, I, I studied how uh, Eve was convinced by Satan to eat the fruit, that she could become a god. And then in the 14th chapter of Isaiah, uh, Lucifer was cast out of heaven because he too wanted to be equal to or greater than God. I began studying the Bible, became aware of the real Jesus, the real God, and began to understand that the God of Mormonism was not the God of the Bible. We lived the word of wisdom, we attended our meetings, we paid our tithing, we had family home evening, we did all the things we were supposed to do. And when I became a Christian, I suddenly was not the good person I thought I was because God revealed to us our inner pride, the, our inner problems, the things that had not been in focus before because we were so concerned in the outward things. We were so happy with the outward things we were doing that that made us rest thinking we were okay. I was lonely as a child in the church. I was lonely as a married person in the church. I was lonely as a single person in the church. But when I met the Lord, I knew that there was some, someone that would be with me all of the time. I remembered that I should ask Jesus into my heart. I remembered hearing my Christian friends say that. So I got down on my knees one day when I was all alone and asked Jesus to come into my heart. I didn't know what I was doing, but when I got up, I had been born again. I found out that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life, and not an organization. I had been looking all my life for something in the Mormon church, and I couldn't put my finger on what I was looking for. Now, when my mom accepted Christ in her life, she shared it with me. I saw a joy in her life that I had never seen before in all her activity in the Mormon church. And uh, this is what I needed. I feel very grateful to God that our whole family, my wife and myself and seven lovely children, have come out of the Mormon church and know Jesus Christ in a very personal way. Mr. Decker, Mr. Bear, I don't think we can take the case. But there is fraud. Deliberate misrepresentation. And the families, the lives that are being destroyed. You don't have the money to fight the Mormon church. They have billions. This thing could go on for years. And they have the resources to do it. 
You've taken us to Kolob and back, but I don't think we can get a jury to accompany us. Cults are protected under the present legal system and will continue to proliferate at the expense of human lives and families. This is all I have left for my son Kip. It's the last letter he left me. Dad, I love you more than words can say. If it were possible, I would stay alive for only you. For I really only love you, but it's not possible. I must first love myself, and I do not. The strange feeling of darkness and self-hate overpowers all my defenses. I must unfortunately yield to it. This turbulent feeling is only for a few to truly understand. I feel that you do not comprehend the immense feeling of self-hatred I have. This is the only way I feel that I can relieve myself of these feelings now. Carry on with your life and be happy. I love you more than words to say. If you had to leave today, what would you miss the most? Leave from the church. The church? From the church? Mm -hmm. I would rather be dead. Good afternoon, ma'am. Um, we'd like to talk to you about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. about the goodness of goji now experience it for real 100 percent wildcrafted sun-dried goji berries from the ancient valleys of the himalaya mountains here's the deal you get 10 times more raw goji fruit than what is contained in a leading brand of goji juice for half the price 19.95 per single pound of pure sun-dried goji berries or 10 pounds for only 120 dollars you do the math and as an american voice radio special Four Spectrum will waive the shipping fee. Go to www.4spectrum.us or call 1-800-581-8906. That's 1-800-581-8906 or visit www.4spectrum. That's the number 4spectrum.us. And don't forget to tell them you heard it right here on AVR. Would you stick your head in a microwave and turn it on? You'd be dead in short order if you did. Then why would you use your cell phone without a filter to shield you from radiation? Use the Wave Shield, tested and proven to reduce tumors in and around your ear where you hold your phone. This is true for portable phones and even Bluetooth where the antenna acts like a lightning rod zapping your ear with radiation. The solution is simple. Order the Wave Shield, an inexpensive filter that easily goes right on your cell phone and blocks radiation going into your ear up to 99%. Go to TheAmericanVoice.com or call toll-free 866-989-9147. It's affordable and a lifesaver. Again, that's TheAmericanVoice.com or call toll-free 866-989-9147. Get a filter for your cell phone now to spare yourself and your loved ones from cancer. Mention you heard it on The American Voice Radio Network. You're listening to the American Voice Radio Network on free-to-air KU satellite at Galaxy 25, Transponder 5, frequency 11836 vertical. You can listen to the American Voice 24 hours a day, 7 days a week.
in, ma'am. We'd like to talk to you about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The biggest danger was that they took me in, and I was thinking it was a Christian church. And it wasn't a Christian church. It was a cult. Joseph Smith did not get right even one word in this whole translation. So leaders have to go back and rework, rewrite, cover up, change, delete, add, all the way through on uh, all of their books. He can eventually grow into becoming a god are you saying that the Mormon church pressures individuals into divorcing their spouses when they're not measuring up to the church's standards? And here's a church that teaches family unity, and they destroyed my marriage. In the early 1980s, two revolutionary motion pictures, The Godmakers and The Temple of the Godmakers, were released. For the first time ever on film, the heresies of Mormonism were revealed and the world was exposed to some of the darkest secrets of the Latter-day Saints. These disclosures, showing Mormonism to be distinctly separate from Christianity, caused mayhem within the Mormon Empire. They forced Mormon leadership to modify several so-called unchangeable sacred doctrines to not only counter the message of the films, but to vie again for a place alongside Christianity. While doctrinal changes have been going on since the beginning of the foundation of Mormonism, the changes of the 90s are the most dangerous. We are seeing Mormonism being repackaged with an endearing Christian wrapper. More than ever, the LDS church people are working harder to look more Christian than the Christians. They are spending tens of millions of dollars annually on ad campaigns appealing specifically to the Christian market. Christians must realize that the Mormon hope of appearing Christian is not reflected in their teaching. The recent changes are only cosmetic. Don't be deceived by the pretty new face. and devout member of what I regarded to be the only true church on earth. I had a burning desire to please God. Much like converts to the Mormon church today, I was attracted by its call to moral decency, its virtuous pro-family values, its politically conservative emphasis, and outspoken enthusiasm for what I believe to be real Christianity. Today, the powerful Mormon church claims a membership of over 8 million people and a determined missionary program steadily converts over 300,000 people annually. Out of the 4.2 million members in the USA, 60 to 80% of its converts are said to come from Christian backgrounds. As Mormons strive to be classified as Christians, they obscure their anti-Christian identity and deceive millions worldwide into joining what they promote as another Christian denomination. In just over 160 years, the Mormon Church has become one of the world's most powerful financial institutions. Literally billions of dollars a year are received from its faithful members in the forms of tithes. One conservative guesses that $15 million a day is harvested from Mormons worldwide, with over half that from Mormons in America alone. In addition, the Mormon Church generates more than $6 billion yearly through its main business enterprises and subsidiaries. 
This income places them among the world's wealthiest corporations. The LDS land holdings in Central Florida alone outsize Disney World by 10 to 1. Both business and church assets are shrewdly funneled through several holding companies controlled by a corporate power base known as the General Authorities or the Brethren. Although elevated to the office of spiritual leaders, the majority of these men had been successful businessmen before they were called by revelation to join the LDS hierarchy. Church members, including those in lower levels of leadership who have faithfully and sacrificially contributed their tithes, time and energy, are powerless to call for an accounting or participate in any corporate decisions. They must faithfully submit to every manipulation from the top. John Heinerman, director of the Anthropological Research Center in Salt Lake City, is an active and devout Mormon who is refreshingly candid about the wealth and power of his church. I have always been fascinated with the great wealth and power that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints wields nationally and internationally. With all the research that we have done, the figure is close to 11.5 to $12 billion worldwide, all of their investments and holdings. These investments and holdings primarily fall into real estate, which comprise close to half of the assets of the church. Another percentage of about 25% uh, would be in business holdings, agribusiness, their ranches. One thing that I was amazed at was that the LDS church rolls over every year between one and a half and two and a half billion dollars just in its investment portfolio on that. They're into everything from uh, uh, agricultural futures like soybeans, uh, pork bellies. Someone I talked with from the finance department some years ago said, when we make investments, we don't pray to God and we don't go by revelation. We do it just like the world does. It has been reported that the Mormon church is the second largest financial institution west of the Mississippi River. A few men at the top of the Mormon empire are uh, tremendously wealthy. They receive uh, uh, income from the institutions that they control. They are among the uh, larger holders of uh, corporate power in our country. Joseph Smith, self-proclaimed prophet of God and founder of the Mormon Church, used the doctrine of divine revelation to legitimize the taking of many wives and spiritualized it as an essential doctrine of his Mormon religion. In addition to his first wife, Emma, Smith appears to have actively enjoyed at least 27 other wives, many of whom were already married. His first plural wife was a barely pubescent teenage relative who was living in their home at the time. Polygamy became a standard requirement of Mormonism necessary for entrance into the highest level of heaven referred to by Mormons as the Celestial Kingdom. Brigham Young, successor to Joseph Smith and second prophet of the Mormon Church, vigorously proclaimed that the only men who become gods, even the sons of God, are those who enter into polygamy. Mormon scripture still says that those who abide not in this doctrine shall be damned. In 1890, government pressure forced the Mormon Church to reevaluate this divine commandment. The confusion and anger that resulted from this undermining of a non-revocable eternal commandment resulted in the formation of many offshoots of Mormonism. Generally known as fundamentalists, these groups openly practice polygamy today and hold to the teachings of the first two prophets. 
Changing doctrines is not new to Mormonism and has over the years fragmented Smith's original church into over 100 separate groups that still claim Joseph Smith as the prophet of God in the Book of Mormon as divine scripture. Well, I was born and raised in the Mormon church and I can remember um, because of my heritage going to my cousin's family reunion and we had to wear name tags with um, the wife's name so we could so we knew which family we were descended from. We were raised with the basic tenets of Mormonism, including polygamy. That is what was openly and freely practiced uh, in our community. My great-grandfather, John D. Lee, was a polygamist. He served under Joseph Smith and Brigham Young. He had 19 wives and 64 children so that he could become a god as God is now. He really believed that God and Jesus are polygamists and that every Mormon man would have to have a lot of wives. My father had a total of 11 wives. We were very sincere about all the aspects of Mormonism. Uh, we used the Book of Mormon as one of our main sources of, of knowledge. Section 132 of the Doctrine and Covenants when the Mormon scriptures say, that you must have plurality of wives. It is a requirement in section 132 of the Doctrine and Covenants. It is clearly stated that uh, if we are to attain the highest degree of glory that we uh, must do the works of Abraham. Therefore we were taught that in order to attain the celestial glory uh, a man must take more than one wife. There is also the warning that any person who will not believe this and enter into polygamous temple marriages, they should be destroyed. So the pressure was on always for men to um, marry several women. It's been estimated there, there's between 25 and 30,000 polygamists in the state of Utah. I was in the Mormon church for 11 years, never missed my tithing once. I had a temple recommend. And then the Lord showed me how that they had departed from the original track that Joseph and Brigham had set it out on. They passed a law that a man could only have one wife, and actually uh, it's, the, it's the order of heaven for a man to have more than one wife. Those who take their religion most seriously uh, return to polygamy because it has not uh, been uh, expunged from Mormon scripture. In fact, if a Mormon is very honest, he uh, probably needs to be polygamous. Are you involved in fertile marriage now? Yeah. There were problems. Jealousy being the primary problem. Uh, the man reigned supreme in polygamy. We're trying to educate the people on how to get the father back in his place in the home. And when that happens, then the, the woman will follow and uh, more wives can be added. My father constantly claimed revelation for every last thing that we did and controlled everything that we did as much as he could. And uh, I came to find out what, what a perverted thing he was really involved in. He would actually take uh, several of his wives to bed at once. And he was very involved in uh, marrying other men's wives. Polygamy is a horror. The history of polygamy is a history of women who shared their men. And uh, it's a history of power and manipulation. The youngest girls uh, were reserved exclusively for the older men that would have a harder time securing more wives. 
so that's how they worked it. And my father, um, he, he got most of his wives by bribing other men with his daughters. I was one of the ones that refused to fall into that, and I chose my own husband and uh, married and had a very loving relationship for 15 years and uh, until I lost him through the flood atonement process. Flood atonement teaches that there are some sins that God cannot forgive by the works of Calvary, and therefore the sinner must have his own blood spilled. This blasphemous doctrine not only diminishes the power and the purpose of Christ's blood, but glorifies the atoning power of the blood of the Mormon sinner. While steadfastly observed by Mormon fundamentalists, this anti-Christian principle originated with Joseph Smith and was furthered by later Mormon prophets. This troublesome doctrine of blood atonement blemishes the wholesome public image required by Mormonism's leaders. Today, the brethren in Salt Lake City still grapple over the predicament they find themselves in when having to both affirm and deny blood atonement. For example, the late Mormon apostle Bruce R. McConkie, in his book Mormon Doctrine, denied that the church ever practiced or taught blood atonement. Yet on the same page, stated that because the blood of Christ is not sufficient to forgive certain sins, the Mormon God requires man to have his own blood spilled. On the 27th of June, we were carrying on our life as usual, and um, happened to be the 144th anniversary of the martyrdom of Joseph Smith. My half-brothers came into our office and murdered my husband. At the same time, there were three other consecutive deaths uh, going on. My brother-in-law, Duane, and his eight-year-old daughter, Jenny, was with him, and they also killed her. Our names were on the list of, uh, to be atoned for. Uh, my father uh, believed that we were traitors to God's cause and that our blood must be shed to atone for the sin of uh, turning against light and knowledge, as he supposed. Blood atonement is if you have charity enough uh, for uh, someone to save them, uh, the shedding of their blood is the only way that they can atone for certain sins. People really thought they were doing a favor in my great-grandfather's day to shed the blood, save the soul, and it's still taking place today. My great-grandfather, John D. Lee, was one of the Mormon men who were called avenging angels or destroying angels. It was their duty, their obligation, to cut the throats, shed the blood of people who were apostate Mormons, who were, who were guilty of speaking against them. The authorities. Jesus shed his blood that, uh, as an infinite sacrifice, but there are some sins that the blood of Jesus cannot atone for, and there it therefore it requires the shedding of uh, that man's blood to atone. For adultery, for apostasy, for marriage to a Negro, for not receiving the gospel, for lying, for any of the other offenses, they'd have to have their own bloodshed to have forgiveness of sin. To put it simply, my father's beliefs stem directly from Mormonism. Not one, not one thing is different than what the Mormon, early Mormon doctrine is. The original doctrine that Joseph Smith and Brigham Young taught is exactly what I believe. I'm now at present baptizing people and I have five apostles now. And
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.